following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting edition of Stories from the Sideline. <laughs> I know I, I, I it, it sounds so exciting because uh, with me is always Matt Keo, who's so laughing depressed. over there with the the depressed stories from the sideline entrance. Um, Everybody in Buffalo. Oh, I'm just we'll talk about it, but I'm just bummed. Uh, with me here for our uh, our depressing day is uh, Cleve Hill swimming coach, track and field coach. Uh, he swam at Buff State. Um, and I just found this out. He used to be a soccer referee for a year. Um, it was definitely uh, – and, and, Doug, I've known you for what, going on 12-plus years, no, 15 years? Since you were Cleve Hill. Since I was – I mean, we're going years back, and I never knew you were a soccer ref. 18, 19 years? That's something like that. That sounds about – wow, man, we're getting old. You're old. I'm, <laughs> I'm ageless. Uh, the one, the only, the manimal. We had Andrew Williams on before. He told us to call you the manimal. Why is that? I don't know. You'll have to. You'll have to get into the manimal. He he said you'd know. I'll text him right now. Mister Doug Newman. Doug, how we doing? I'm doing all right. Living the dream as always. Living the dream. Um, and and part of that dream died on Sunday. <sighs> we got to do. Our last Bills talk for a while, and I feel cheated. 13 seconds. What the hell? 13 seconds. I mean, I've in, in that last two minutes, two and a half minutes, I've never gone through so many ranges of emotion where you have the Bills scoring with, what, a minute 58 left, whatever it was, roughly around that, to go ahead. Then, of course, our defense can't stop them. Mahomes scores with, I think it was a minute and five, minute and two seconds left. And then we score with 13 seconds left. Can't possibly get any more points, right? No, we play, I don't even know. We play conservative for a prevent defense. And we give up a field goal to go over overtime. And, of course, uh, Tails failed us. Allen picked Tails. It's heads. We lose the coin toss. Therefore, lose the game. What? In the world, uh, Doug, Matt, just <laughs> I, I, what? What? I thought we got all the Billsy out of us. Oh my God! It, no, it it's beyond Billsy. It's like the Boston Red Sox pre two thousand three is what the Bills are right now in professional sports. Uh, I agree. Or the Chicago Cubs pre Theo Epstein. I'm not waiting 100 years. Oh, God. I waited 60. I already feel 100 <laughs> years old. Doug, just get that mic a little closer. Just there we go. We don't want to miss any words here. Yeah, I don't know. That was insane. I just. No. It's just frustrating to see that. And I love Sean McDermott. I loved everything he's brought to the Bills and like. And everything, but the one thing I hate is 
his stubbornness to bring back like a 1985 running game when you have Josh Allen, who's Superman, and just use him to carry the team when no one else can run. Just let him do the be the workhorse until he can't. Yeah. At least for the season. At least for the season. And then readdress it in the off season with new guards, whatever, drop that running back from Michigan State who's just a monster or whoever. Or trade with Pan- with the Panthers who don't want um McCarthy was it? Yeah, McCarthy. Or anyone anymore. Just I don't know. Just let him carry you for the game because he's he's Superman right now. Yeah, no one can stop him. And he was doing that all season long. And and we talked about this before we on uh, before we started recording. They it's like they try to get conservative, try to get conservative, and they'll let him go. They let him go in the first quarter. The first drive looked fantastic. And then once they tied up fourteen fourteen, they went back to. Running Singletary and and Gilliam and Gilliam like Gilliam has value on that team, just not there. No, and at that point, let's let's be honest. For all intents and purposes, and nothing nothing against the Bengals, but this is the AFC Championship game. This was I mean this was it. This, this was, was it. This was this the Super Bowl. I mean, nothing against any fans. If you're a Bengals fan, whatever, Kansas City is going to roll you next week. Buffalo would have rolled you next week. And there's not an NFC team that can compete with the Bills or the Chiefs. No. And that's why 13 Rams, seconds. Even with the Rams, with um, Darnold and... With Donald and uh, Donald and, and Miller, and, and, and it's... they're No, they can't. They're, they have too many weapons, and Mahomes and Allen are too fast and big to not be a statue and get sacked by Darnold. And that's why I I just feel robbed. I just feel robbed. And I keep thinking of, and and yeah, we we signed Allen to another contract. We're going to have him for a while here. I'm sure once that contract's up, he's going to sign another one. But you know what? I keep thinking of a player like Dan Marino who went to a Super Bowl his first year as a starter, second year, and never returned. Or Phillip Rivers, who never went to one. Yeah. And he's he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Absolutely. Or I'm trying to think of other quarterbacks that are great that haven't had that success. Dan Fouts, he never went to one. Look at how long it took Peyton. I'm sorry. Look at how long it took Manning to finally break through. I think he broke through after, what, nine or ten years? But he had to get through Brady. And yeah. That's, and that's Mahomes Allen's the new Brady is the Brady um, Manning. And not only that, but everything lined up this weekend perfectly. You had uh, the Bengals beat off Tennessee. I wouldn't be worried about Tennessee either way. No. But this way, at least they we don't – the most were, dangerous player uh, left out of those two teams was Derrick Henry, and he clearly isn't the Derrick Henry he was. He's, he's got to take a while to get healthy. And the Titans are frauds. The Titans were – I was never afraid of them to begin with. No, they got too much respect because because of Henry and Vrabel and his Patriot magic. But but on the NFC side, you've got Brady gone. Brady, you've got Rodgers gone. gone. It was lined up perfectly for Buffalo to go skate through Cincinnati because I think Kansas City is going to roll them. Buffalo would have rolled them. And I think I predicted this way back in the preseason. L.A. Buffalo, 
it was shaping up to be L.A. Buffalo. Oh, and man. even if it was L.A. San Francisco, Buffalo Buffalo would have blown San Francisco out of the water. I think the L.A. game, L.A. Buffalo game would have been close. But I still saw Buffalo winning by at least a possession or two. It, it it's just it it's just frustrating. I, I figured a month from now we'd be attending the Super Bowl parade, I and wish. it's and at the worst case, I feel cheated out of another week of football and hosting an AFC Championship game. Yeah. After that touchdown, Vicky and I were already looking up. All right, how much are tickets going to go for the <laughs> AFC Championship game? We're on Ticketmaster. We're on StubHub. We're on. I mean, it. It was. It was there. And oh, and they'll be there again. Like they have all the pieces in place. They sign all the corp guys are have been resigned. I mean, Edmonds will probably get picked up for his fifth year option, as he should. Yeah, you know, not popular take, but he should. He's. I think he should. He's good. He's still. And he's still. He's still. He's young. He is, and what he is was going into his fifth year in the NFL, and he's still going to be younger than some of the fifth-year guys I think who he, are... he's, what, 23, 24? 23, 23 turning four? 20. 23. He was drafted at 19. Yeah. So he's 23. He's going to be younger than guys being drafted in the fir- first round of the draft this year who put, who been on college rosters for five years. Absolutely. And he has three years of NFL experience, and I don't care... Um, he just—he's good. He's not terrible. He's just not Lawrence Taylor, like no. Bills fans thought he was going to be. No, and he very well could grow into that. But right, but right now, he's—he's he's, who's that guy? He played for the Bills and then went to Washington. Um, just retired a few years ago. Um, he's just a tackling machine. You're not talking about uh, Fletcher Cox. Yeah. London okay, Fletcher. London Fletcher. He's London Fletcher. That's where—that's where he's trending towards. And if he can have a career like that for twenty years, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. He'll no, put up, he'll put up Hall of Fame career tackle numbers. The only thing he's got to worry about, in my opinion, or work on, is his pass protection or his pass coverage. And that will come. That will come. And I think it started to come. He he flashed throughout the season. He flashed a lot of it this year. Don't get me wrong. In this game, I thought he got beat. He was struggling. He, he was. was struggling this game, but which again. In that last 13 seconds, this he is should, what he should have been the one shadowing Mahomes, not Vernon. Butler. But but this is what blows my mind. In in true McDermott fashion, he gets them out there. He sees what they're gonna whatever he, he sees. Calls, a, he, calls he calls a timeout. He does, he's been doing that from day one. Yes, but you call timeout to make sure that everybody's set in their spots to set them up in that defense that you and you still make like. A, like, what are you calling a timeout there so that, no, you're only 15 yards back. We want you 25 yards back. Just I mean, come on. Line them up 10 yards. What's the bump rule, five yards? Line them up You five. can bump them after five. Yeah, so you bump them for the first five yards and then just let the line just – whoever, linebackers hold them. You got the cornerback. The backs were phenomenal all night. The safeties, yeah. Dane Jackson – um, Wallace were doing their thing. Just let the linebackers just jam them at the Kelsey at the line. Trip, just tackle Hill. Take the take the penalty, and then that will run what five to eight seconds off the clock as you slowly get off of the guy you just manhandled, and then 
Yeah. They have to line back up. At worst, they have to call a timeout, not you. And then they have time for one more play, and they have to play for field goal position, not for a touchdown. And you're kicking from 60? Yeah. Okay. So he if he makes it, it's a legendary kick. If he doesn't, he already proved he couldn't hit from fifty from forty eight, and he missed an extra point. Yeah, and, and that's going to be going through his head too. But not only that, even if you want to do it, all right. There's been there's been talk out there that McDermott didn't want to win that way. He didn't want to do any cheating moves. At the worst part, it, like you said, it's legal to jam him up five yards. Jam him up, even if you make Mahomes hold on to that ball for two extra seconds both times. There's your four seconds there. And they had him, and they contained him. They did. Like he was contained all night. He, he, they contained him. as then when they overcommitted to him, that's that's when he that's when he scrambled. But if you're there, if he's dropping back two three seconds, both passes he got the ball out in under three seconds. So if he drops back two three seconds, if he wants to run and scramble for ten yards, fine, scramble for ten yards. That's more time taken off the clock. And then you slowly get off of him as the clock is running. Yep. But either that, but if you're jamming, hold on to him. And, and all right, the only explanation I can think for kicking it in the end zone is Tyler Bass was a little too jacked with adrenaline. Maybe they told him, hey, kick it at the 10, kick it at the 5. He was jacked up, and he drilled it too hard into the end zone. Yeah. But at that point, why aren't you squibbing it? Or something. Well, doesn't the clock? The clock still doesn't start until they touch it, right? Clock doesn't start till you touch it. If you squib it, or if you kick it deep at the ten, fine. If they want to fair catch it at the ten, that's fifteen extra yards that they got to go. That turns that forty-eight yard kick theoretically now into a what sixty-three yard kick. And the Bills' coverage team is what was what number one, number yeah. two in the league all consistently all year. Like they they cover. They and you know what? If if Whatever, we're all still, even the Music City Miracle is still too fresh, but whatever. If they run it back, at least you can say, hey, we lost because they made an amazing run back. They made an amazing play. We didn't lose because our coaching staff, once again, puckered up. And this takes me back to the Houston game a couple years ago where it was, what, like a third and 15, fourth and 15, and we threw everybody back again. For the Hail Mary. For, no, just to get the first down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got the first down. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the game, we have to hear, oh, we didn't realize our safeties were too far back. Our safeties were only supposed to be at the, at the, at the whatever it was, 35-yard line, and they went to the 30-yard line. Yeah, and I don't like second-guessing coaches just because I am one. And, but I just—and it's like his fatal flaw. Anytime he goes against Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, or Ron Rivera, McDermott goes into this very conservative shell. Like when he goes against Belichick, he's all in, like, I'm going to—I'm going to—I'm going to— like, oh my God! If we ran the same offensive play, not the offensive plays, no, but, but the like, same style strategies, the same he, gambling he mentality, after Belichick because over. he was the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia during Spygate and all that when they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots. Like, so I think he wants to like be the guy that like takes it to Belichick as retribution for all that. Yeah. But but whenever he goes against people he that were in his life and he respects, he. It's like he's like the he's like 
the little like the son trying to please his father. Almost. Now, for me, it, it it almost seems like at times where he he wants to coach well, but he doesn't want to make he doesn't want to look like um, he's he doesn't want to get embarrassed. He doesn't want to get beat. He doesn't want to get blown out. So I'm going to devise a game plan on defense that I might lose by a touchdown, but I'm not losing by 21. Right. I'm not losing by 28. No, I and I agree with that. And I agree with that, but I don't think his offense should be dictated by the defense he wants to run. He could do that on defense. That's fine because he's proved it. He's had what in the four years he's been in Buffalo, four whatever, four or five years he's been in Buffalo. He's had top ten defenses all but one. So, so he can have that. He can do that, and he's done that. But let your stars be stars. Agreed. And this is the last thing. And and Matt, I know, is looking over there. He's like, please stop talking bills. Please stop talking bills. He's like, this is too soon. But the last thing I'm going to bring up, I know we had the number one, statistically the number one rated defense. This this is not going to make me very popular, I know. But we beat up on Jacksonville defensively. We beat up on a weak Washington team. We beat up on two weak Miami teams. We beat up on two Jets Jets teams, the Saints. When we we played teams with – had good quarterbacks, Mahomes, Mahomes both times. I mean, the the first time we still limited him, but they still got their points. This was the first time, I think, not to cut you off, I think they really felt the absence of Trey White. Oh, for sure. Because – For sure. Because if they had Trey White out there, they – you can at least, especially in that last play, you can at least go out there and say, hey, Trey, You're don't Hill. let Hill get away from you. Hill wouldn't have made that play with Trey White there. Now, last play, do you, and on especially in the Hill play, I think on Hill and Kelsey, but on the Hill play, I know they did, they're still rushing four D linemen. I would rush three. Rush three or two. Run nobody. Exactly. Because but why why are you still even when you've rushed four all day long, you weren't really getting there. And when you got there, Mahomes is getting out of the pocket. He was yeah, he, So the why end, the ends were fine. They contained him, but it's then when the, the ends what looked like they circled in towards him, there was that gap between the sideline and the his center that he would just Yeah. Squirt. He's finding he makes one or two guys miss and he's gone. Right, because a three hundred pound, a a two hundred plus pound tackle is not going to outmaneuver Mahomes. No, and there were a few times that I thought Rousseau had him from behind and just. And Rousseau was big and fast, and Ed Oliver had a game, mm-hmm. and like, so you can't fault the line. No, you and can't. even a lot of those games on defense, it's it just, was it was we're there, but. What, just did, missed the play. Just like, missed the play. Like, like when they wanted the sack and they were going for a sack, all they had to do was just kind of like, okay, we're in front of you. Keep the pocket contained and then just slowly collapse that pocket. Yeah. Instead of over committing as you were rushing towards him, he would get the initiative. It's like some kind of like jujitsu move where you use the other team's momentum against them and just like shoot by him instead of just, just holding him there. Cause yeah. you just hold him. He won't, run no and early on our our Just, cornerbacks the coverage was there like he would have to hold he was holding onto the ball for three four five six seconds right just let him his strength is when he moves if you just make him i don't know 
play like Dan Marino or somebody, you have you you have a better shot. Yeah, and which is another reason why why are you dropping back in that last thirteen seconds? Why are you dropping back into a prevent defense when all day long, yeah, Mahomes they were getting their points, they were racking up yardage, but he had to hold on to the ball for five, six seconds right. to make just, a throw. And that just eats the clock. And if we would have forced him to hold on to the ball for four or five seconds, both throws, tick, tick, tick. that's six seconds. You're that's, not, that's the game. you're not getting that third play off. No, that's tick, tick. T- you're, it's just the clock burning away. That's four seconds. Then another, and another two, three seconds another for another second for the ball to travel. And then two seconds as you tackle the receiver. And then, you, as I kept saying, you slowly get up as the clock is ticking. You don't have to rush to get off the guy. No. But it's just... It's frustrating. But I feel like every time something bad happens to this group, they come back stronger. I do. Well, well, you know what? That they should be they should be like Hercules, Samson, everybody like rolled in the one because... It's not like, it's not like the Jack Eichel Sabres where they... Blow a lead and they like implode on everybody. Yeah, because your captain's too big of a baby. Because does anybody know how he's doing in Vegas now? Has he played a game yet? No, he's coming back soon. I think he's supposed to be back by like the Olympic break around there. He's skating and like he's moving. One thing I I hope but, they don't do. But can the, can we stop with the Sabers videos of players? Like even if they played one game the with the Sabers the and the next game they get back, oh, we're gonna give them a big tribute video. Yeah, Come on. I can understand Ristolainen because he was here for 10 years. But, like, a guy that was here, like, Matt Molson, the Matt Molson tribute night, you don't need that. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. He was he was in Rochester more than he was a Sabre, wasn't he? Yeah. He babysat Jack Eichel one year, but Vander Kane's cocaine habit was more attractive than Matt Molson's home life. And didn't we give a Vander Kane a tribute video, too, when he when came back played, here? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like, that was... We deliberately traded for Kane because he was hurt. And we didn't want him to mess up our Jack Eichel the season. No, but that was Jack Eichel's downfall right there. was Tim Murray. I put it all on Tim Murray. Trading for for Evander Kane and his coke habit brought down Jack Eichel and brought on Jack Eichel. I can't even say because I don't want to be sued by Jack Eichel. But (laughs) whatever. You get what I'm saying. Just say allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) He had a back injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, all right, allegedly, 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 back injury, allegedly everything. Whatever. <laughs> the Sabers are better off with them. They have guys that are like enthusiastic to be here. Hey, we've uh, the Sabers have another young team. I know we said this like eight years ago, ten years ago. They've but, got a young team, but, and, and I think they I, finally got the right coach. Yes, Granado is the right guy. He is the, their Sean McDermott. Kevin Adams maybe not be might not be the financial wizard of Bean, but they have a guy that can who has stabilized the franchise. Let's hope. Like he hasn't done anything boneheaded. He's. Got rid of bad contracts. He is not panicking. And somehow he's contained Terry and Kim Pagula from meddling. In his for team. now. For now. For yeah. now. Yes. Like, they, they seem to, like, listen to him. And I think he had that come-to-Jesus moment with him last year when he went to Florida and then went on that road trip and had that impromptu press conference. I forgot it was either between a game between New Jersey or Philadelphia. It was, like, on a random Friday. And he was talking about how he wants guys who – want to be here who want to play for the shield or the saber shield and like two days later they traded um 
what's his face um to Montreal and then they fired Ralph yeah a week later and that was I think that was the turning point I think he had to go down to Florida and like listen if you want this to work Eichel needs to be gone Ralph needs to be gone Taylor Hall needs to be gone like they're not here well Ralph was here probably for the right reasons, but the other guys aren't here for yeah. the right reasons. They're here for a paycheck, an easy paycheck, like the Bills players were during their drought years. I'll get a paycheck, and I can just play for another year or two on my career and get a couple of extra million dollars, and I won't have to win. I don't have to put myself on the line because we suck. So we'll just— we'll why, just not, why not get some money? We'll, yeah. I'm at the end of my career, or I'm just trying to hang on in the league, and I can— Build towards my my pension and my NHL pension and get health care for the rest of my life and whatever. And yeah, <sighs> that's for but Buffalo. I, but I think the Sabers are on a positive. I, I think course. they're finally on a right course. Uh, it only took them what ten years of a drought, eight years of a drought. Yeah. So they're they're. You look but at took Buffalo, 18 years, 19 years, 20. How long was it? But it took, 75 years? But it took Sean McDermott, despite everyone hating him right now, because he's principled. And not to say the other Bills coaches were bad people or bad individuals. They, I don't think they had the, the foundation, like the, like the fortitude that McDermott seems to have. True. Like I think – like. I don't know if I'm expressing myself right, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like, there's something about like McDermott, like about him that's different than Dick Duran or Rex Ryan or Mike Malarkey. Oh. <laughs> or hey, Malarkey had a winning season. Or Doug Marone. Like, he he's different. God, I hope so. <laughs> no, just as an individual, I think. He's no, different. I I, and I I think that that. He has he has methods, he has philosophies, he has principles, and he's not – And he's grounded in them. Yes. And he's he not going to break them for anything. And he's not going to bring in a random player because he's sh- – the owner thinks he's shiny and nice. And can I, can I tell you I, – and I said this I think two weeks ago. I am so glad that that Antonio Brown trade never, never went happened. through. Never went through. Because I think that sets us back like another – Two yeah. years. I think right now they would they would not have Stephon Diggs. No, right now we're talking about the Bills maybe just getting into the playoffs again, or maybe maybe getting past the wild card. They'd and that's the, it. They beat the Bengals. We, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that Antonio Brown trade. If that had happened, they'd be we ba- we'd be set back two to three years. They would be the Cardinals slash Bengals right now. Agree. They wouldn't be where they are right now. No. So. Thank you, uh, Antonio, for not wanting to come to Buffalo. And I'm sure McDermott was on the other line <laughs> with being no, 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 no. But like, listen, no. if you bring him in, you're going to need a new coach. I don't think he would do that. No, but it, no. But know that he's on a short leash. <laughs> no, he's on the no leash. He would be on like, we don't want like the Jack Eichel. We don't want him in the facility <laughs> list after like leash because no, no. he's too toxic to bring in to the taint the young guys. <laughs> he just, he'd taint the young guys, Allegedly the old guys, toxic. taint the Allegedly. fans. Allegedly toxic. He learns a lot from Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> I was thinking more of Andrew Kane. Oh, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> but 
All right. On a, on a better subject. <laughs> All right. We spent a half hour talking about the Bills. I was going to say. Uh... And allegedly, um, alleged <laughs> Jack Eichel activities in Buffalo. <clears throat> Good thing he's going to Vegas. Hey. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's Vegas' problem now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So, Doug. Uh, now, like I was saying, you coach uh, swimming. How long have you coached at Cleve Hill? This, you've been in there quite a while. Um, well, let's see. Um, I have, I'm on my second stint at Cleveland Hill. I was hired in 99-2000 as a teacher assistant right out, almost right out of college. And I got lured in to coach girls modified basketball for that school year. And then I left for a full-time teaching position. I came back in 2003-04, and I was assistant coach for boys swimming that year. And then the following year, I was hired as the girls' head swim coach. And then I was assistant coach for boys that 04-05 year, and then I took over as head coach, I want to say 05-06, around there. Now, you took over the girls' program when Jane Wright left, right? No, she was still there. Jane Wright was Jane Wright and I were hired the same year. Hired the same year as a teacher. As a teacher, but then you took over for her for she, the program because she, she started. She moved across country her second year. Yes, because she was hired before me, and they needed a girl swim coach. And our athletic director at the time gave it to her during the summer or early summer, and I was hired a couple weeks later. And he already filled that position. And Doug, do you know who Jane Wright's assistant coach was? I believe it was you, Larry. It was. And do you know how much experience I had with swimming? As much as Jane Wright did. (laughs) Probably less. Which was zero. (laughs) She literally – and. And I, I, Jane was a great, great she, lady. She's, she's awesome. She's a phenomenal runner, and she, she is perfect for cross country. And she took over for cross country. Good. Her second year, she gave up swimming after her first year because the cross country gig got op- became open. Yep. And she took over cross country, and she did it a number of years, didn't she? She did it. How long? She was there till two thousand ten ish, maybe. Okay. Um. And then she got a better. A different position working at Erie Wimbosi's doing something. There. I was going to say, I thought she was at Erie Wimbosi's now. Yeah, she, yeah, that's where she is now. But I'll still see her like running down Main Street still. Oh, yeah. She, like she was a phenomenal runner. But she was awesome. But that was that was my first year at Cleef Hill where I started off mm-hmm. as just a lifeguard. Yeah, yeah. And um, she came up to me first day. She's like, do you know anything about swimming and diving? I was like, no, no. I know nothing. <laughs> so she looked at me. She's like, okay, you're our assistant coach. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm like, and I begged, I begged. Like, oh, did you want the assistant job? I wanted something. I wanted to coach swimming, and our athletic director was like, no. Well, how did I get it over you then? At least for the assistant, because you know who our AD was at the time. And true, he, <laughs> he um, I'll tell you off. The air. Um, no, he, I know. He, he um, he was. I think he was just plugging holes that year, and like, didn't wait for like. The, mirac- the miraculous hire of Doug Newman to come into Cleve Hill. Well, I'm telling you, I – and not only was I the assistant, but she put me in charge of diving. And I, I don't even like heights. I hate heights, let alone bouncing off a board and hoping that I don't miss hit the board. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the and, – and all our girls 
were like pretty much brand new divers. So they oh, yeah. didn't really know what to do. And I'm having to teach them how to do an inverted dive, mm-hmm. a this dive, or that. Some of the dives I didn't know how to say, let alone teach. And it, especially the ones where you got to flip or you're diving, uh, what is it, like a reverse pike and oh, this yeah. and that. And I'm looking, I'm like, I'm watching videos and they're like, make sure that they don't do this or they're going to smack their head on the board or they can get hurt oh. if you do this. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill these girls. I, as a swimmer, am biased against diving because in college swimming – well, in high school, we didn't have a diving board. So I never had to suffer through diving in a high school meet really. Because they take up about two lanes. Yeah, they do. But that's not the reason. It's more of a selfish reason because of the events I swam. And where diving fell in the college program. Now, what what were your events as a swimmer? Um, it, I would specify. I would say that I was an IMer and a breaststroker. Okay. But I can honestly say because I wasn't very good at anything. Like I was competent. I would say at most everything. I wasn't like good or great at anything. So. I was kind of like the jack of all trades. So in my college career, I think I swam every event at least once wow. with, the ex- with the exception of the 200 butterfly. I think that's the only event I did not have to swim. Wow. But I swam oh, – and maybe like 200 backstroke. But um, I swam everything else. What was your – what would you say was like your favorite or just the stroke that you were the best at? Probably breaststroke was probably my strongest Stroke, okay. strongest stroke, but I was competent in all others. I, like I said, I wasn't great at anything. Okay, I was just, I was competent, and I could fill. And I so because I was competent, I met, I could fill a need. <laughs> so the coach, it, it was kind of like, like even in soccer, right? Who wants to play goaltender? We need a goaltender. Me, I guess I'll do it. Yeah, I just like, yeah, because that's how like. When I started swimming, that's my high school coach's philosophy. Like, and that's mine too. I adopted like, you're an, everyone's an IMer. Like everyone swims IM because it fills two needs. One, it gets you in the shape fast because you're doing every stroke, and two, every, you make yourself more valuable. Absolutely, because you're developing all four competitive strokes and. You there, never know. And, and you don't know what you're going to be good at until you do it. And like I tell that it's a hard thing for like my younger swimmers to comprehend that like, oh, I just want to swim 50 free. Well, that's awesome. Everyone wants to swim the 50 free. <laughs> and to be good at the 50 free, you have to be going under 23 seconds to be good. Like, oh, and what do you swim? Oh, yeah. I'm not even 30 seconds. Like, so like it's hard. Like the 50 free is hard. It, people think oh, it's, it's a short race. It's not. It's stunned back. But to do it well, you have to be very strong, and you have to have a different mindset. You just have to have a di- different mindset. Like a, I always use this analogy with them. Um, there's an American swimmer, Gary Hall Jr. Um, he comes from like huge like swimming pedigree. His father was a three-time Olympian captain of Team USA in the 76 games. And Gary Hall himself, Jr., is in the Swimming Hall of Fame as well. He swam in three or four Olympics, but he specialized in the 50 free. 
And he equated the 50 freestyle to a heavyweight, heavyweight fight. That, like, that's the mentality that you need to have because in the Olympics, it's one lap. Who wants to get to the other end first? And you have to have that mentality that you're just – it's just a big swing. It's just like you have to have that big like Mike Tyson knockout punch. Okay. And that was his mentality because – and I remember and I listened to a I finally heard a podcast interview of him um a few months back um explaining this. I think it was at the ninety six games or the two thousand games. I can't remember which. He came out because he was he he was a kind of like a rebel and he bumped heads with like USA swimming and all that because he was a personality and showed and he didn't fall in line. But anyways, he came out dressed like Apollo Creed uh, <laughs> in Rocky Four. He had for like swim meets and stuff for, or the, for the Olympics. For the Olympics, <laughs> that's awesome. And he was saying like the USA official who is like in charge of like marketing and branding was losing his mind because he wasn't wearing like the Team USA sponsored uniform that had oh like, yeah that had like the official team logo like sponsor on it or whatever. And here he is he. And he's like, I had my headphones on. I just pretend I, I just ignored him the whole time I was in the ready room. He's yelling at me. I was like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Like, <laughs> and he has like these Apollo Creed, like Rocky Four trunks on. He has um, the red, white, and blue boxing robe on. He has the gloves on. And He, he comes, came in with the boxing gloves He came too? in with the boxing gloves. That's awesome. And he comes marching out onto the deck like that at the Olympics. And then he's like, I was just and, – and that was a time where like – that event was just loaded with internet these sprinters from like Alexander Popov from Russia who is freaking amazing you had Brett Hawk from Australia you just had like all these guys from Australia Russia United States and like it was just like toss up who's going to win so he's like I'm just going to get in their heads and mess with them and just be a showman and that's what he did and he ended up winning yeah, I think he ended up winning the gold, but like, but that's it. Like that's the fifty freestyle, and not many people can do that. Now that's one thing, and you bring up head games, and I can't remember. You, you'll know the the uh, female swimmer who does the the slapping of the the legs and everything, and she says she uh, she gets she's a I think it's a breaststroke. That she does. I think is it Lily King. Yes, yeah. Lily King. We're, she's yeah. Now yeah. does does that really? I mean, you're you're a swimmer. Does that really like get in your head if you see somebody out there where they're like, you know, making noise, slapping I everything? I don't know. Is like, there head games that you can play before the start though, like that? I'm sure. I'm sure there are. There are different ways to get in into your competition's head. But it took me a long time to figure out how not to let the outside world affect me. It took a long time. It took me probably to let my final month of college swimming to figure that out and it's helped me like in now even like to compartmentalize but it can because i don't know i can but or in the same token it might not affect your competition but it can help you get you fired up a little bit i can see that like in my mind i still do it as a as a coach is i find reasons to get mad at people and form rivalries oh i've done that and i still do it and like there's like coaches i'm sure they're perfectly fine 
human beings. But in your head, you're But in their head, they wronged me somehow. And I always wanted, like, like, and I always wanted, like, get at them. Like, oh, absolutely. Oh, like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I must have swam against you in high school or whatever, or you beat me or whatever, or you shunned me, like, at a, at a state meet or whatever, because I was, I wasn't, like, it was my first time there or whatever. Like, oh, who are you? What have you done? Like, oh, absolutely. In like, fact, like, 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 like things like that. And like now I'm one of the older guys and now I'm like, oh, like, I want to talk to you now because I'm old. You're old. Like, I don't know these young guys anymore, but like, okay, buddy. But when I was young and you were my age, you didn't want anything. I wasn't good enough. Yeah. Like, the, like I wasn't good enough to hang out with that, like at a state meet in Long Island. Like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you said, you got to build, and I, I and, did and this. I still, and I still do that. Oh, absolutely. I did this at, at Pioneer. Like, I'm usually, uh, you know, if it's a regular reg- regular season soccer game or if it's somebody I know, I'll go shake hands, midfield, you know, coach, this is this. Pioneer, I came off the bus. I had myself so fired up on the bus where I almost, I, I've, I've got my, it was raining, so I didn't have the fedora. But I've got the hood on. I've got everything on. Didn't go over to the coach. Went over to our bench. Got our girls ready. Do this. Didn't even, you know, if the coaches even came over, I just stared them down mm-hmm. so that they would, they didn't even, they, it looked like at one point they walked over towards me like to greet me or whatever. I just stared them down, turned away. Like I had just built into that. I didn't even, this is the first time I had ever played Pioneer in soccer. And you would have thought that they had beaten me like the last 20 straight years for every single championship. Cause I just had that. Yeah. I, I, I don't like you. I don't even know you, but I don't like you right now for the next 90, uh, minutes. 90 minutes. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's, it's just funny. Cause other people like I've had other, like a bunch of assistant coaches over the years and they'll laugh at me. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you getting so, Oh yeah. Like you don't understand this person did this and like, you're kidding, right? Like, no, I don't like, like, <laughs> he, you know, he's a nice guy, right? Or she's a nice woman. Like, not I, for the next couple hours. No, no, they're not. Because when these, like these teams were young coming up and they were brand new, they ran up the score, like, or whatever, like you could have done something like, or, or like whatever. Yeah. You, you just... Whether it's true or not, you got to you got to manufacture sometimes and I still, that bulletin board material. And I still do that. And I and for better or for worse, I do it in, in my teaching life with my colleagues at school. And I do it with like <laughs> like I'm a better teacher than you. I know I am. Like I'll, I will I'll show get these you. kids all ninety fives and above. <laughs> like no, it's not that's not it. Just like just like my presentation and communicate. Like I still do that. Like. Matt's over there laughing. Matt, this is what old guys like Doug and I got to do too to kind of like keep us fresh, keep us sharp because we've got young guys like you always nipping at our heels. It's not even oh, – that. that's not even my motivation. I just think it's how I, I came up because I never had – I was never good at any – like I, I say I never, was never good at anything. I'm sure I was. But in my head, I was always – I had to overachieve to get everything – I accomplished. You always had to prove something to somebody. Like I like school never came easy to me growing up. Like especially elementary school, middle school. Like I I hated school. Like I did not want to be there, physically be in school. I would try to find ways to get out of school. To the point where my mom would have to call the school like if Doug says he's sick, 
he's not. Just <laughs> don't 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 believe him. Send him back to class. Like <laughs> he's he's learned how to puke on command now. Don't believe it. Like he uh, it was like Ferris Bueller like nine times. <laughs> like like <laughs> that's probably where they got like the idea from. Like <laughs> like I hated school. I hated I hated everything about school. I couldn't sit. St- uh, if I was in school now, I would probably be, have like a 504 plan for like ADHD and hyper. Oh, no. Like, like I was that kid bouncing off the walls. Like I didn't. If I, if I had to sit for longer than 15 minutes, I couldn't do it. I still fidget. Like in, <laughs> like I just found better ways of channeling it, like doodling on paper and what have you, or scrolling through Twitter while at faculty meetings or something. Oh, but but like started on faculty meetings. But anyhow. So I always felt like – so school – I struggled in school as a result and I fought it. I fought it. My parents like got me tutors and helpers and all these things and like it wasn't until like freshman year, sophomore year, high school that school clicked and I started to – and I don't know. I had a couple – I had some really good teachers once I got eighth, ninth and tenth grade. I started getting like good teachers that I could like identify with. And that, like, who kind of understood is understood me a little bit, or at least had empathy for me. And could that, at like, least challenge you. And could at least get into your like, get into your and psyche, I, like, and know and what, I, like, what made oh, you yeah, click. You're, 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 you suck at school, so you're just gonna sit in the back, and we'll just wait till you like, and not help you, or what have you, or like whatever. Yeah, just sit in the corner, just relax, just. We'll, we'll, you're 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 holding up everybody else's education. Yeah, you're nothing special. Like, okay, you'll probably pass, but we don't have any high expectations for you. No. And then I, I wasn't like I had like a, I had some nice teachers in sixth grade, like some nice old lady teachers. Like, the I say they're old. Because I was like twelve, but they were probably like forty. <laughs> Don't you remember when when you're twelve? You think like if somebody's thirty five, wow, you're like old. Like that- shut up. <laughs> no, like I'm gonna be forty six next in like two months, and like shut up. I don't feel old. The worst is elementary. Like I still teach. I st- I teach at a K to eight building, and I still have some of the. Uh, this year, I don't have any kindergartners, but I'll have some of my kindergartners who are first graders now who come up to me and they're like, you'll always get the inevitable. Mr. Monahan, how old are you? But like, I don't know. How old do I look? 80, 85. I don't, I don't get that. Fortunately, like I'm starting to thin up top, but fortunately, like I teach in high school and like, how old do you think? Like, You can't be any more than 40. Okay. I'll take that. Like, yep. You're like still in your thirties. You look younger than my parents. Like how old are your parents? 42. Like, okay. Well, did I ever tell you my, first, my only year coaching swim? I don't know if you remember Don Delano oh, yeah. from Cleef Hill. Oh yeah. So the girls, uh, I think uh, Jane Wright told the girls that it was my birthday on in October. Mm-hmm. So um, Tom Delano brought in a cake. I can't remember if it was a store-bought or whatever. We had a meet on my birthday. So she brings in a cake, and she puts on there like a whole mess of candles. And at the time, I was only 21, 22. Okay. And um, so she – and I'm counting the candles. I'm like – there's like well over 30. I think there's like 33, 34. And I get up to like, I'm like, wait, girls, how old do you think I am? And Dawn's like, and I never, she looks, she's like, I don't know. We figured like 30, we, we, I kind of figured 35, but I didn't know if that was too, 
too. So I did like thirty three. And you're def- in her defense, <laughs> you've been balding and gray since I've known you. So I can't blame her. Not gray, not gray. The gray just started uh, ten years ago. But sure. <laughs> but anyhow, but like, but I'm looking. I'm like, oh, oh my god. So no, they're like happy thirty. Like, and I just did. I didn't even say anything. I just. Thank you. <laughs> Just sat down. That, that was a good group of girls. Though. It was awesome. That was that was Dawn's year. She was um, a junior because I had her senior year. Yep, she was a junior. Was uh, Stephanie Amos was on that team. Yep. Um, trying to think who else was on that team. Ryan Actel. Yep. She was she was my starting diver by the end of the year. Hannah Welch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and those are still some of the, like some of the toughest. And girls. then Ryan's uh, younger sister, Kendall. I, uh, did she swim for you, or did she? She. Started and then went to cheerleading. Okay, because I know she 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 dove for me that year, and we kind of had to. Jane and I had to push her because all she wanted to do was diving at first. I'm like, you're too good at swimming. You need to at least swim one or two events. Oh yeah, that that's a a prerequisite. Like, no first year swimmer dives, and I've broken. I've gone against that last like year or two. But like, no for if. No first year swimmer dives. Everyone needs to learn how to swim first, and then if you come back, if it's that important to you, you want to dive and you come back, then you can. Yeah. Then you can dive. But yeah, no, that was a good good group of kids that year. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I had about uh, I don't know at least fourteen too many candles on the uh, the birthday cake there. Yeah, that that yeah, and that <laughs> and that, no, but I like when, by the time I took over, I was there fourth head coach in four years i think because that it, sounds about right because i know joanne miranda and then they had um jill oswald then they had jane and then they had me so they they had like a quick like they had a big turnover by the time i got there they're like why should we listen to you yeah you're you're, you're just gonna leave in a year or two anyways right so it took me a year or two for them to get a, a, like used to me and then like I had it and then I had to get them like and then when I did push him like you're just trying to teach coaches like a college team or coaches like boys I was like no my goal I'm coaching you like a good high school team should be coached and it took them a while to like get used to that because like I said, there was so many, so there was so much turnover. Yeah, and like you said, you had no swimming background. Jane Wright had no swimming background, so like they were coming from. No offense to you and Jane, but they were coming None from like, taken. But they, they were coming like from you, and we're to me. Yeah, and we're putting like I remember Jane and I a couple times we would put up there like, all right, uh, I think this is a hard workout. This should be a hard week, you know. We think, and then let alone you know the workouts that we're doing, the girls are like. You know, all right, this is kind of easy. So we'd up it, we'd up it, and then a couple times we would put like a ridiculous, like later that we would find out, but like it's a ridiculous workout that they couldn't do. So we'd kind of go, uh oh, and we'd go back. I yeah. mean, it was, I, I, it was, it was tough. And it was like, and then I finally, like, I can't remember exactly what year it was. I want to say it was probably like around two thousand nine. So it was probably like my fifth year as coach, fifth or sixth year. I was on a family vacation, so I missed the first week of practice. And my assistant, Andy Rizzo, who's awesome, um, ran practices. And then when I came in, 
that following Monday, like they met me at the door, like the girls met me at the door. Uh, oh, that's that's never good. And no, but they were like, Newman, can you coach us like the boys? And I was like, what are you talking about? Ooh, okay. I was like, what do you mean? Like I do. No, they, no, we want you to write sets like you do for the boys. And we want to do those type of workouts. And I was like, if I do it, you you can't complain. You can't back out or find ways to like, no, we, we want that. And I think that was like a turning point with the girls. They went from like just beating like one or two schools, like going like two and six or whatever to becoming a winning program for like a decade. And those girls became record holders and breaking some of these older records. And one of the girls in that group, Alyssa Fair, um, tough, tough, tough girl, um, just misstates her senior year by one one hundredth of a second oh. at sectionals at, in the fly. And like, like, but she was tough. Like, she was a great, she was a, good I am her. She was a good, she could do everything well. And she was just so strong physically and mentally like, and it was her and like that, her cohort of girls that were like, no, we're tired of like, we don't almost like, Hey, we don't want you to baby us. Yeah. Yeah. Now did, did, now did you, whether you were doing it subconsciously or on purpose, did you, did you kind of see yourself? Hey, I want to have, but I don't want to, did you kind of did you kind of even notice that you were backing th- off of them a little bit because they were think, girls? I think so. And if you look back and talk to the kids from both teams of that era, and like I'll argue to I my last breath, like the girls always thought I favored the boys over the girls, and I never did. I just saw them as two different animals. Like when I coached girls, I was all in on girls. I wouldn't talk to the boys about boy season during the fall because they were doing other things. They were doing cross country. They were playing volleyball. They were playing football. Like it's not appropriate to talk about winter sport. Like that's just me. You don't want to step on the fall sports toes. Right. It's not appropriate. It's not because they should be all in for, for football. They should be all in for their other sport. There'll be enough time for me. In November to start the season. In November. Right. And, and that's part of like when I get it, when we were talking about me making enemies, like and Rob, I'll do that with my peers because sometimes I have other coaches who would, who will do that. Like talk about spring sports during the, during the winter. Like, no, they need, or whatever. Like, no, they need to focus on this first. There's enough time for that later. And now, if they do well here, that will transfer over there now one thing and i've never had this happen to me personally but i know it i i know a couple of coaches who it's happened to have you ever had um whether it's a fall sport or uh like a fall sport uh try to poach one of your girls into doing can i plead the fifth <laughs> you you don't have to give names you don't have to give sports yes i have uh, you I, could just say a simple I, yes but yeah. yes i have for both 
for both seasons. For both guys and girls? Yeah, absolutely. And Now that, I think, and like I said, and, I've personally never had it or never done it, never had it happen to me. But I know that's, I've for had, me, that's always been an unwritten rule. Hey, you you just don't do that. They're a football player, they or especially with girls. Hey, they're a cross country runner or they're a cheerleader. Yeah, you might you might know that they play travel soccer, that they're great soccer players. But hey, they made their choice. If they want to stop cheerleading on their own or that's chop, a, that's, that's a different that's, that's a difference. their thing. But I will not if they're on an active roster. I'm not like if they're a basketball player. I'm not going to go no and say hey. You shouldn't play basketball. You should be swimming. Even if either, even oh. if they're on the bench, even if they're a starter, no. whatever. And I might say, I might like say, like a senior class, like you should try swimming. Oh, I play basketball. Okay, all right, all right. Just not, know we're here if you need it. Yep. Or like I won't. I I will. I have never actively recruited another athlete from another team. I have never done that, and I get furious when another coach. Does that like I've never confronted them face to face, but it stews and it will strain relationships. Oh, for sure. Other like professional relationships in different roles, like where I just think like you're you're a snake because like fine you're I know what you're. Yeah, I'll just stop there. (laughs) But, (laughs) But yeah, like yeah, and and I think. By connection, I think it's it's hurt it's hurt friendships. Oh, absolutely! I could see it. I could see it hurting that, for sure. I mean, and I get it. Some programs, like there there were years in soccer where we've been very lean, where we'd have to go in instead of a full roster of eighteen. Whether it's injuries, whether it's we just had a down year where we go in with twelve, thirteen, fourteen kids, where we should be, you know, at eighteen, nineteen. Mm-hmm. And other sports programs are up, down, whatever. I get it. High school, you know, you're 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 rotating those athletes in every couple of years, but you never want to actively poach it away because I know personally, I wouldn't. I'd be I'd be livid if somebody came up to me and all of a sudden. Um, two or three of my girls are now running cross country or are now playing uh, or doing cheerleading or something else or during uh, track season are now playing softball, not because it was their idea because they lost interest because, oh, the coach says I can start at third base or the coach says I can do this or the coach has been actively pursuing me for the last season and a half. Yeah, and that's not right. No. It's not because there's enough kids to go around. There really is, even at small schools. Because, and I've had large teams, especially on the boys' side. Like, there's been seasons where I've had fifty boys on a team, or forty. And like, we'll start with like I, one year I started with fifty-four boys, and by the end of the season, through attrition, we maybe got into like the mid forties. But uh, like, but like consistently, like I would have like anywhere from twenty-five to thirty-five boys. And there would be, and that was from seven through twelve because we don't have a modified program. And we, as we were rolling like that size, there was like a pecking order established, where like a developmental pecking order, where like, okay, this is where you should be in seventh grade, eighth grade, and then you have like ECICs, and then you have class meet, then you have sectionals, then you have states. And the goal was, like, we would sit down with the boys or the girls and, like, figure out what their why was. We have goal sheets. 
and like with three questions, we put them on on the pool deck so they can see them and remind them of like what what you want to do, what do you want to achieve, and like uh, whatever. And the, the standard always is if like if you're a first year swimmer, you're probably going to go to the ECIC B meet, which is like a junior varsity championship meet, where you're swimming against people who have qualified for any big meets and it's a fun it's a fun meet it's championship experience and there's very little pressure then the second year you should be qualifying for ecic divisional meet and then if you qualify for the divisional meet your next goal should be next year you should shoot for class meet and then and then whatever and that's how we rolled and 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 that's still kind of our the thought process but that's but like yeah and like I and I just had this conversation with a colleague the other day. We were talking about this, like about other sports, and about like you. You and I were just talking about like, like just because like they're doing another sport and you don't like that other coach because of that. There's a just because like those kids probably weren't going to swim anyhow. I was like, no, it, it's not that I didn't like the sport. It was the method that they were trying to take kids off one roster to add to build theirs instead of organically building up their program. Yeah. And and I get it and I think I would even have more I still think it's a bit of a dirty tactic, but like if we were coaching, if I was coaching uh girls soccer and and you're coaching um girls swimming which are both fall sports, um you know, even if you came up to me um Hey Larry, you know I'm I, I've only got uh, ten girls this year. I'm really lean or whatever. Do you have any girls on your on your active roster right now? I see that you're up to twenty two. You've got a, a big team. Yeah. Do you see any girls that really have very little chance of ever of ever turning into anything in the program, or who just aren't soccer players, or who are, who are yes, just that's... gonna get? Then I could I could respect that and be like, well, all right, you know what. I could maybe talk to, or if you want, you could maybe talk to blah, 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 and mm. blah, blah, blah. They're really, right now, they're only my practice players. They're really, at this point, I don't see them being big-time contributors. Not saying that they couldn't, because you never know, but you can, you know, I, I see they're something. Right, and like, and like... Even that, I could think, would be a little bit overstepping boundaries but i could at least respect that well instead of instead of you going behind my back or me going behind your back yeah and just poaching swimmers and well you know I, we have fun here at soccer i know coach he's never started you he's never yeah. done this he's that's right and that's going and, over the and, line and i've experienced that from the other end but like i've been fortunate because our phys ed teachers do a good very good job of re, of pointing kids in in the right direction in the right direction and like in the winter time um for boys even like i'll make an announcement like after like i'll talk to the basketball coach or whatever um and like hey after you make cuts i'm going to make an announcement like looking for more swimmers like hey if you're still interested in participating in winter sport the boy swim team is still looking for new members. Now, on the flip side, have you, and I've had to do this not a ton of times, but I, I in the years of me coaching, I have had to do this a handful, I, I, a few times. 
Have you ever had to, on the flip side, have that conversation with one of your athletes, whether it's a new 7th or 8th grader or a ninth or 10th grader who's been on the team a number of years, and just kind of have a little heart-to-heart, hey, this might not be the right sport for you, maybe, like almost in a... Maybe you might want to consider cross country or have you ever thought of not that you're pushing them out the door, not that you're not that you're um, trying to get them to quit, but you're kind of letting them know if you want to stay on the team, that's fantastic, but you might want to consider other options type of deal Um, as a nice way to say it. I can't think of any. I've when I first took over the boys program, I had to removing air quotes some individuals from the team but i've never um i never have cut i've never cut anybody usually especially when i was talking about when we had those such large numbers my first week of practice i would make extremely difficult and especially um um at what I would do is I would do a lot of dry land and like hard stuff. And I'm like, you want to, if they're going to cut they're they're going to cut themselves. It's, it's going to be attrition. So like my yep. first week, like I like really like respect, like, like the United States, like what the military does, like military. So I would like watch documentaries on like Navy SEALs and Green Beret stuff. And it's like, not like, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be like my hell week with them. And like, just make things so uncomfortable for them. And like, and our, we have this big hallway that connects the elementary to our high school, middle school called Main Street. And I would just line them up there and we would do like army crawls and like just bring out plates out of the weight room and like do lunges and squats and squat holds against the wall holding 45-pound plates. And just – and the most of the kids who were smart enough would realize like – it's just this week. He's just trying to get rid of us. Like if I can – like it's just one week. And yep. then after that, it's it's fine. And then – but kids will – some of the kids would just fall away. Yeah. But it was fun. I mean it was – I found it fun because I, I could get to understand who – like I could, they revealed themselves like to me. Like you know what I mean? Like I knew – okay – he might not be physically strong, but he's, he's mentally tough. He's mentally tough. I can work with that. He's he's he or she is coachable. Like they're not going to quit. I could put them in this situation, and they're not going to quit. It might not be something they like, but they're not going to quit. Oh, absolutely. They'll they'll keep fighting. They might be miserable, but they'll fight. This kid is, and this kid's like this kid's too. Like he wants to be the star. He wants to be the star without working. You know what I mean? And like we would do stuff like that. And it, and I think on top of it, it brought them together, especially in my early years. I had to do a lot of change, like culture changing when I took over. And and I didn't know it at the time until I saw the movie Miracle. That's how I was acting. Herb Brooks. That's how yep. I was acting. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Like that's how I was acting. And I didn't realize it because a lot of things I did, especially early on. I didn't have any – I had two coaches in the swimming – like two coaches and my high school – I had my high school coach. I had my college coach and then I had – I swam club for the parents of my high school coach. So I that's, that was my exposure really and I 
and in college I changed I swam during the summer. I swam for Tanawan Titans and I tried UBAM, which is now back. It's out of UB and I didn't like them. It's just they just they're not that they were bad. It just didn't fit my style. So everything I did starting out as a coach is I wrote practices that I wish I had. I had. And and I just went from there. It was like trial and error. Like I like like I don't have many soup like I don't have any talent. Like my talent was in is in enduring the suck. Like I can outlast anybody. Like that's all I have. Like I'm not extremely physically gifted. I'm not extremely fast. I'm not the strongest. I'm not you know, I'm I, I was just average. I, think, I, don't have I think Doug's selling himself a little short here. <laughs> Doug's 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 oh, yeah, got definitely. Doug Doug's got more talent that he that he that he sees here. He's selling himself a little short, but <laughs> no. But in my head, that's I like. So I always felt like I had to prove myself. I was, yeah, I, oh I, for sure. I was always I always feel like I'm the outsider, like that I have to prove myself. Absolutely, like, and and I think I think especially in an individual sport like uh, like swimming and track and field that you coach as well. I think you have to have that mentality if you don't if you want to be really well at it. If not, you, there's always going to be that that kid that's going to beat you. You have to go into each race thinking, "Hey, I've got to beat this kid. I've got to prove that I can beat this kid. This kid's faster than me, which is going to make me faster." Right, and I, like so, like as I'm getting older, and like I'm reading, and I start reading more, and as more podcasts become available, I'm like, "Wait, they're doing the same thing I'm doing." Like, I just didn't know it. Like, I felt like I was coming up and teaching myself in a bubble. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have – I don't have anyone that I can look to and, like, for – I didn't have anyone I could look to as a coaching mentor. Now, now with that, looking back at, like, like you've been coaching since 03, 04 – Looking... I've been coaching before that. I started in 98. Okay. I so... started coaching in – while I was student teaching, I was – While you were still coaching? Yeah. I actually, okay. I, I was at Buff State and, uh, like, I always wanted to be a swim coach. Like, as soon as I started swimming in 10th grade, I want – like, this is, like, what I want to do. This is, like, this is awesome. Like, I want – so that was what I had in mind. And I went to college with no idea what I wanted to be. Actually, I had an idea – I liked the idea of swimming, and I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I was good enough. And then um, this girl, Ann Dolesky, Ann Crittenden, um, she's awesome. You might know her from the city. She coaches in the city, the girl swimming in the city. The name sounds familiar. She did the, the, she did the combined team at City Honors. Okay. And now she's coaching at, um, at McKinley Olmstead combined team this year. Okay. But I went to high school. She was a freaking amazing high school swimmer in her day. She was super strong. And I just took a random lifeguard class and she, at like the Crab Apple, um, was it the Crab Apple Mall? <laughs> um, remember that mall? Oh, that's dating us. <laughs> but you know what I'm like, Yep, yep. And I took a random class there because that's where the Red Cross was. And she just happened in class and like we were just, and I I was shy. I didn't talk to anybody really. Um, and we were talking. I was like, I, it was like the summer I was going into college. So I had just graduated high school. She was like a year older than me. She was swimming at Niagara. She's like, and we swam club together off and on. And she's like, you could probably do it. And I was like, you think so? I'm like, I'm not that good. But she's like, yeah, you could probably do it. So 
I went to college orientation. I signed up and the rest is history. But but I went to college thinking I wanted to be like a – do you remember that movie um, Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater? Where you had that – it was a high school kid. He had a pirate radio station. Yes, 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 yes. That is my favorite movie of all time. Like if any movie that like, could influence like a 13-year-old Doug, that was <laughs> – it was that I can mo- see that. It, I haven't it, seen that in years, man. You can't anymore. You can't find it. I was gonna say when, like, I don't even not, think it's on Amazon on it's Netflix. Not, it's not on anything. They're not streaming it. No, it, they won't. It's like the only Christian Slater movie that's not being you can't get on Amazon or Netflix or anything any streaming service. And but that was the movie that like influenced me the most. So, like in the back of my head, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be like that guy. And like, and I went to college. I took a few broadcasting classes, and then I had this one professor, really cool. Um, he did the voiceover for the Tops commercials. Um, oh, back in the, day. Back in the old day, yeah. yeah. He was, um, and he was a DJ for like Buffalo, like different radio stations, and he's professor at Buff State. And he passed out a worksheet, uh, this handout of salaries. And he goes, "This is what you're probably going to make for most of your career, unless you are like." And now I'm really dating myself, like. Um, Who's that guy from WBEN back in the day? Or like if you're like Sandy Beach or someone like oh, that. Geez. Like Sandy Beach. Or, he just retired too, yeah. didn't he? Or you're like one of those guys. You're going to probably be bouncing around from – and this is like around the same time of like um, Howard Stern, Private Parts came out in the movie. Like, So he was like relaying like a lot of his anecdotes to that movie. Like, And you're going to probably be like in that movie like where he's just bouncing from like Shit station, the shit town, the shit state, and just being nomad, making like five to fifteen thousand dollars, and being fired every time the radio station changes management. That's what you're going to be. And I was like, I really don't want to be a nomad. No. And so, what else do I like doing? So I, I kind of like his social. I was good at social studies. I like that. I had cool teachers who were social studies teachers who, like saw what I was capable of. I was like, I can do that. So I changed majors and became a social studies t- major and became, I was like, okay, I can be a teacher. And like, I can wait, if I become a teacher, I can become a coach. I can, so. Kind of put one and one together. Yeah, I could do that. And then like Buff State had just started their health and wellness program a few years before and they had just added a coaching minor. Buff State doesn't have a PE program. But they have a coaching minor program. I was like, huh. And I was like, I can minor. I had like gotten ahead of like all my credits and I was like needed classes. So I was like, I, I, I can do that. Like, so I can get a coaching minor. It's like, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to need to make myself kind of marketable like on a resume. So I'll become I'll, – I'll become certified. And the cool thing about like the coaching minor was it certified me to coach as if I was a PE teacher in New York City. Yeah. And, so, and I don't think a lot of people realize once you – if you're a phys ed teacher, you're certified to coach every I, sport. Every sport. If you're not, like if you're just your average history teacher, math teacher. You have to take those stupid BOCES classes. Yes. And, and you've got to take them – Every, every you've got to take them per sport, don't you? Or is it I like a know. one size fits all? I don't. That I can, I've I've never taken them. I never had to take them, and I like I never had to take them, so I never paid attention to them. But I was always like, like other people are like suckers. Like you could have done the same thing as me, and not have to pay thousands of dollars every fu- couple of years to keep your certification. 
So I did that, and my first coaching gig was spring in 1998. I did a coaching internship at Williamsville East Girls Track. Okay. Um, and that was eye-opening because I was 22. Those girls were 18. And I knew, like, it was just weird. It was just the age difference was was so and, close and it was and it made me realize like I have to be professional. Yeah. Like I can't I have it forced me to like like cuz I knew some of them because I had my brother and I were friends with like their older sisters or brothers. Like, yeah. So like it was kind of familiar and I couldn't be familiar with them and I, like so it taught me you right had away. to draw that line it taught me it, like yeah like and like it was like well like you're our, you're basically our age why aren't you acting like because i'm your coach um i'm, I'm the, an authority figure yeah. like i'm i'm just an intern i'm like basically student teaching as a co- like coaching but, but still but it, it forces you almost to grow up quick i remember i mean i've coached right out of right out of um college um, was doing some stuff in like while I was in college was coaching, but all the the sports that I coached while I was in college um, happened to be like with the real little guys. Like mm-hmm. I was coaching, you know, U eight or U eight teams, U ten teams for soccer. Right. Um, but I remember even even that first gig at Cleve Hill, and even right after, um, they're my, not much older, than, no. younger than you. So like, it's you're talking like. Okay. Two, three, maybe four years age difference. Right. And, and you've got to know, you've got to go going in. Um, hey, there, there, you're, there's a divide. You're the professional. Yes. And you have to learn that quick or you're not going to last. And I, and I was, I don't know, I was fortunate. I was working from the day, like teaching, coaching for almost from the day I graduated college. Like I, I pushed off my student teaching an extra semester so I could finish my senior year of swimming and that partly was due and I supplemented that with my coaching minor so I could just do my student teaching in the fall and graduate in December so it's just an extra semester of really and I started subbing right away I graduated December I was subbing the second week in um, in January because during that between when the college semester ends and and January 1st, Sweet Home Amherst Williamsville had a um, student, a substitute teacher recruitment day. And I went, I don't, I was, I don't even think I graduated. Like I didn't have the, my official like diploma in my hand yet. And I went and I got myself on their list and I started subbing there. I did my student teaching at Maryvale that fall. I got on their subbing list. I student taught in Holland. I got on their subbing list. Oh, and Clarence was there too. So I was subbing at all five of those districts. And I was working every day. And by mid-February, I must have done something because instead of getting called early in the morning, I was getting called in the evening before or teachers were requesting me ahead of time. Yep. So I was getting – I was booked. I was subbing five days five days a week and then for that rest of that school year. And then I did my interviews and I think that kind of hurt me because some of those, like, oh, he's a good sub. 
we don't want to lose him as a sub. So we're not going to, not going to, oh, I remember. That was a lesson. Can I tell you, that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way with some districts where you, you're subbing for them for a year, year and a half. And you're like, you finally, not only that, but you know, like so-and-so has told you, hey, this teacher's getting ready to retire. Mm-hmm. This teacher's getting ready to retire. Just hang tight, kid. Just hang tight, kid. But then you find out after the interview, after you, you thought you did great, well, you didn't get the job, and you later learn, well... They didn't want to lose you as a sub. Yeah, your district is, doesn't want to lose you as a sub. They don't like hiring their subs. They do, but not their very good subs. So it's almost like you're getting screwed because you're doing, doing a, a job. great job. I remember... Um, I went to Amherst High School and I was subbing and they were doing – and I knew they were interviewing for social studies teachers. And I applied because my ninth grade social studies teacher who was there, she had to go on a long-term absence. And she had booked me to be her long-term sub for like whatever. And I'm in subbing, not for her yet because I didn't, hadn't come up yet. And my I'm in the faculty room. And my principal, the building principal comes in and and he's known me since I was like a freshman in high school. He goes and he's introducing me to a couple of new teachers or whatever, to other teachers, like some of the newer teachers who were not, who had re- been hired since I had graduated between whatever. And he goes, this is Doug Newman. He's one of our better subs. And they called me in on the day they were subbing or they had scheduled social studies interviews. I was like, you MFR. <laughs> and yep. I, I was like, and then like, he's one of our better subs. And I was like, then I was like, then oh, why am I not God, getting an interview? Why am I not getting, why am I not getting this position? So, yeah. So, and that was the beginning of the following school year. And I had, I had started subbing that September and I went all summer. I couldn't get an interview because everyone – that it was like summer of 99. Yeah, summer of 99. Everyone – there was not a teacher shortage. There was – social studies gigs were like PE jobs. No one – once you got them, no one's – if you were a, um, a science teacher like my brother, the jerk, you got hired <laughs> on the spot. Science and math were Elementa- always – elementary. Elementary at that time was see, but I always thought it was like for phys ed for guys. If you're a phys ed, uh, if you're a phys ed teacher and you're a guy, you have a tough time getting a job. Yes. Phys ed teacher and you're a female, you have a much easier chance. Sure. For elementary, I it's it, kind it, of reversed. Guy elementary teachers seem to get snagged up like that, whereas female elementary teachers, you but, might have to wait a little more. But that was a time where like every ele- it seemed like every elementary school in Western New York was going through a turnover. And that's and, – with education, you got to time it right. And that's it's like it the stock market. So I went through interview after interview and I, didn't, and I was just getting down on myself. And then I got um, – started the school year subbing. I got interviewed at Christian Central and I turned them down because I could make more subbing than I could working for them. Yep. And they wanted me to do all these crazy – they wanted me to hire me part-time. But to compensate me to, so I can make as much as I could subbing, they wanted me to do like AV, be um, a – coach you're, you're working like 10 12 hour days when you could get that working five six hour days as a sub yeah and then as soon as i turned that position down cleveland hill called me and like i was applying for anything at this point i saw like cleveland hill was looking for a teacher assistant i was like okay it gets me health insurance <laughs> and, and it was like and it was like an hourly rate i was like okay i can get into a district work every day and 
so I can't. So it's like mid the end of September. I get called in for an interview. It was an eh interview, but the director special ed like me. And when she hired me and she's like, we're going to do everything we can to build up your resume. And she did. Do you remember Linda gone? Yes. She, she retired as the elementary principal. I was going to say she was there. Um, I think it was towards the tail end of her career when I started yeah. there. And she was towards the tail end of her career when she hired me. But, um, but she's like, I'm going to do everything I can to build up your resume. And she did. No lie. One of the special ed teachers went on um, um, like a extended time leave. I long-term subbed as a math teacher. I knew nothing about math, but I subbed math. And then Carl Curris, the old athletic director, um, calls me into his office. He goes, we have two positions open. We have an, um, a volunteer swim coaching position and girls modified basketball well i was gonna ask why you got into modified basketball well this is how this is how um and he goes well i was like well i did swim in college i do know and i at the time i was coaching um i was assistant coach at tanawanda um girl so i was like i have experience coaching girls swimming and i swim in college and in high school i i i'll i'll take the assistant position no no that's reserved for richard bryden baker and and like (laughs) so but like i'll take that he's like no that's already reserved for him so what i'm so okay i guess like he didn't he made it seem like it was my choice but it wasn't but it wasn't your choice and i knew nothing about basketball like my i was the black sheep my dad played high school basketball my brother was a high school basketball player like i played pickup basketball and I didn't make – the only reason why I got into swimming is because I didn't make basketball, didn't make the basketball team. And that's how I got into swimming because swimming team needed swimmers. And I was like, I can swim. I can't play – well, anyway, so I took over the modified basketball team. And it was a great – we didn't win a game that whole entire year. <laughs> but you know what? They got better every single game. Like That's all you can ask for. No, it was great. I just remember um, the varsity. I had fifty girls sign up for modified basketball that year, and I knew nothing, and I knew they knew nothing. So my first three days of basketball tryouts, they didn't touch a basketball. I ran them. I just want to see who would drop, and the harder I ran them each day, the more came. They they didn't, they didn't drop. They just. Really? And the varsity coach is like looking at me like, why are you not doing any basketball drills? Why are you not doing any of this? Like, I want the, I want them to quit. Like, Like they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's 50 of them. Like, I want, there's 50 middle school girls in this like old dungeon of a gym. um, And I want them to quit. So I just ran them. We did suicides. We did laps around the gym we did stairs we did everything i could think of like um to make them quit and they didn't and so i was just trying to find like the best athletes yeah because like like i i don't know if i again i just felt this on my own like you can teach anyone a skill you can't find athleticism no, you can't find like a freak athlete. If you can get like a freak athlete, like when you're talking like Josh Allen, you can teach, and they're willing to learn. You can produce. They can teach. They'll you, learn. They'll learn, and you can't. But you can't learn 
speed. You can't – well, you can develop speed, but you – Some people just have it naturally. You can – you have the tool – You ha, yeah. You, it's a skill. Running is a skill. You can develop runners. You can develop strength. But some people you, – you can see the separation. Yeah. And some people are just more naturally gifted. Like so some people are just fast. So that's how I got into coaching modified basketball. We went like 0-20 or something, whatever to modify <laughs> – whatever it was. But we played everyone twice that year. So the first year we lost by like maybe like like whatever a crazy modified girls basketball score was twenty five to four or something like that. But the next time we played them, we lost thirty to fifteen or something like that. So the the gaps the gaps narrowed the gaps narrowed. And I remember um, there was like this boiler room that was used by like coaches to take their teams like during halftime. In the old setup before Cleve Hill remodeled itself like 20 years ago. And there was a vent that opened up to the AD's office. So he could hear everything yeah. you said. And he goes, he's like, when he brought me in for his post, um, post-conference. post Post-season conference, he's like, I was listening to everything you said. And like, and like he just went from there. Like he saw something in me that like – which gave me more confidence that, like, I was doing something right. Like, like I said, I never had any mentors. I always did things. Like, I had a college coach who was very monotonous in his training. We did the same thing. We had a Monday practice. We did the same Monday practice every Monday. Every Tuesday, we did the same Tuesday practice. Every Wednesday, we, like, for four, for the first three years until he got relieved of his duties, um, we did the same thing. And it was just... I plateaued. I I got plateaued and I got worse. I got slower. I was faster swimming for Tanawanda Titans during the summertime than I was during my college season. Hmm. But it, and that's that's got to be tough as an athlete just to realize you're it's it, it you're, was, you're there and and I couldn't replicate it during the college season and it got frustrating and I would get down on myself and I would have like sometimes like my parents like why are you doing this to yourself? Like, you're not getting any better. Like, you're just... Or, like, other guys on team, like, you suck. Like, like we had, like, this kid yeah. that swam for St. Bonaventure who was a really good freestyler, and he knew he was good. And, like, he was ridiculously good for the conference, not just for, like, Buff State. Like, um, he was swimming, like, 45s in the 100 free 25 years ago, which is fast. Even let's even for now, and he's like, "You suck!" Like, <laughs> like, why are you doing this? Like, you're embarrassment. Like, wow. I was like, and that's just like, like tell me how you really feel. No, that was his attitude. He's just very smug and didn't respect me as an athlete because it, like he could smoke me. Like that's awesome. You had a pedigree where you've been swimming club all your life. You went to a school that had the number one high school team in. In the country, or not the country, in the state at that time, you went to St. Bonaventure that wins the A10 championships every year. I'm sorry, you did whippets and got kicked out of school. You, <laughs> you got kicked off the team because you did whippets and passed out half naked in a snowbank. <laughs> and that's the only reason why you came to Buff State. Um, like, <laughs> and now he's a doctor making more money than all of us in this room combined. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully off the whippets. I'm sure he is. Um, but <laughs> he switched to higher stuff. Yeah. 
All prescribed. Yes, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> but the, like that just made me more determined to prove people wrong. And yeah. That's where like I get like this defiance in me. Like it seems like I'm being passive, and it almost turns into like a passive aggressiveness. And I'm not being passive aggressive. I'm just not very confrontational. Like you come after me, I just like kind of like put blinders on and wall up, and I'll just do my own thing. And it looks passive aggressive, like to a building principal or a colleague. Like Doug's just being passive aggressive. He's just like, no, no. That's just how I like. That's just how I operate. And again, that affects like friendships and things like that. Now, now building that stuff up. Did you ever? Did you ever do like? Um, would you ever kind of go out of your way for like an athlete to kind of get them fired up? I know throughout the years for track and field, especially like. Um, there's been times like I, I, I coach the throwers, mm-hmm. um, well, I'll go, I'll know that, um, like, uh, uh, a couple of my girl athletes, we had some really good girl throwers. We were usually sweeping the NFL, but I'd know that, all right, this year GI's got a pretty good thrower or, mm-hmm. or this year's we And when we're going against that team, like, you know, this girl is throwing 35, no, When's I, the last time you hit 35? I, I don't would, think you can hit 35. I would do that. It depends on the kid. It would depend on the athlete. Cause some can't handle it oh for sure you definitely need to know your athletes like i can't like i've had to change my coaching style over like the last five or six years because the way if i would talk or speak to kids like the way you or i were were talked to by our coaches oh or, we'd be we our career would not be would not would be very very short let's like, put it that way like like i had to like change my word choices even like not yeah. that I, not that I was insulting them or drop f bombs or insult their manhood or their womanhood or whatever, but just my tone of my voice or the words I would select. Like I remember, I was I sometimes I get into practices sometimes and I'm yelling across the pool and I'm screaming, and I said something and it was to one of my I was yelling. I remember the set we were doing, like these set of like this two sets of two hundreds or whatever, and I thought this kid was underachieving in this set, and I called him out on it. I didn't even insult him, like I didn't call him any names, I didn't do anything, I didn't call. I don't even remember what I said, but as I was walking down the pool, I see him, and he's crying, and this is like a sophomore, junior in high school, and like, and he's in tears. I was like, what? He's like. You were mean to like what? I was like, so I had to calm him down. I was like, listen. So from that point on, like the rest of the season, I was like, okay, I'm gonna say something, and I'm not attacking you as an individual. I'm addressing a behavior that you are exhibiting. I'm not. So when I say this, I'm I'm not attacking you personally. It is called constructive. Criticism, and like so, so I have had to change. Like it was just, it was like a, biz, like a bizarro moment where I was like, oh, yeah, you- I've had to change. And I like, like I said, like once I started reading and things, I like I remember Mike Kashevsky saying that too, that he's had to change over the years. And then like I never like made the connection between like his adapting to his athletes at Duke to mine until that moment because he was brought up by Bobby Knight for crying out loud. He was coached by a young Bobby Knight. Yeah. Like when Bobby Knight was like in his mid twenties 
so and you saw him when he was in his 40s and 50s chucking chairs across the arena like you can imagine what he was like when he was in his prime in 20 like 26 27 and like that's where Krzyzewski was brought up and he went to the military academy and then and and I think Bobby Knight is a, is a great example of a great coach Obviously, I mean the man will the man has forgotten more about basketball than than most people know now. But a great coach who, for whatever reason, did not adapt his style with the times and learned by the by his when he left Texas Tech or was forced out of Texas Tech or even at Indiana in Indiana's too they were fishing yeah. looking for reasons to get rid of him. But that's how you you're you're no longer. When when you keep coaching in a style that's no longer with the times, your legacy doesn't become oh this is the coach that's winning. This is a great coach. This is a great coach. You have that. He's just behind the times. He's just the grumpy old man. Right. He's just the the mean coach. And you can't tell me. I mean, Bobby Knight. Yeah, he won a lot of games, and he was boisterous. And but you know what? Everything he did, he did. I think out of love. Like I don't for think, sure because you could not be as successful as he was as a coach and not make connections with his athletes. Oh, for sure, or those athletes' families and have lifelong relationship with some of those guys, because no matter what era you're in, if you're an asshole, no one's going to follow you. No, you're whether how knowledgeable or or right. not you are. Right, you if you were Bobby Knight. Being the character you were trying, if you're a coach and you're trying to model yourself after Bobby Knight, but you don't have those interpersonal skills to connect with like a hard nosed egotistical guy like Isaiah Thomas, who he had at Indiana or someone like that, why would they follow you? Why would I just voluntarily let myself get yelled at yeah. when I screwed up if I knew there wasn't something behind that? Yeah. And I mean, it's just. Like even thinking about now, I mean, we've been coaching both of us for more than 20 years at at various levels. And the stuff that I could say to my athletes, the stuff that we could say 20 years ago, we can't even say now. No. The stuff, the methods that we could use 20 years ago, we can't use now. Some of them are outdated. Some of them wouldn't even work now. Some of the strategies wouldn't even work now. No, but like some of the, even some of the training principles that work then have been proven to be outdated. Yeah. Like, so you have to be a little bit more creative in trying to achieve the same. And you've got to be willing to adapt. Right. Like one thing we did in high school I, that we did, we finished every practice with, and it was these underwater swims called um, BFMs. And um, you would go underwater and we have to exhale all our air. And, Oof. Then, and then we would have to sprint the length of the pool without breathing. Underwater? Above water. Or sprint, above water. Sprint freestyle. So we we would go underwater. Our coach would clang like a, like a flagpole from the side of the pool on the tile. And once we heard that clang, that was our cue to go. And if we – and we had to do 20 of those in a row on, a, on an interval. Man, I'd be dead after one. We would have to do them on 30 seconds. So you would maybe, if you were like second, third person in the lane, you might get a rest. But if you were leading the lane, you probably got none. And we, if we, anyone got caught breathing, we would have to start over, no matter where we were in that set. And that's how we would end every practice. You can't do that now. No. Like some of that stuff has been proved dangerous because you would have like 
um, short, like sh- brownouts. So you just like you have shallow water, like you yeah. just pass out from the the lack of oxygen. Yeah, they're doing. And, the, and you just the, have brown, you have like shallow water. You can have shallow water drowning. They're doing more harm than good to your body too. Yes. So you had to, like I still do sets like that, but I don't put it on an interval. I'll let them recover before we do another one. So instead of doing like 20 on 30 seconds, we'll do like eight of them and you're allowed one or fewer breaths. Yeah. So but, they feel like they're yeah. in and, charge. And that was very much the old school, a lot of the old school mentality of coaching where it was, I remember our track and field coach, um, there were times where we would have, you know, we'd have a tough meet and we didn't perform up to our meet or up to his standards. So after a meet, instead of having that cool down practice, that recovery practice, he would kick our ass. He'd sprint us. He'd cover, and it was, you more, know, it was more harmful than yeah. Good. And it was your you're running until you puke. And I don't mean that figuratively. No, I mean you're running literally. until you puke. Until someone pukes. And his his big thing is it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it I, don't matter. And that saying is true. And like true to a point. Yes, you have to be pushed. But there is a breaking point. But right, and over the course of time, that would be like our Saturday practices. Our Saturday practice would always be a hard practice, and we would just like it would be an hour and a half of hard swimming, and then we would play like water polo or something like that for fun. But over the course of time, we ch- I changed that Saturday practice to be like an active recovery day. Yeah. And we would still have fun afterwards because we would always. You'd have, still get a good workout in, but, but, it, would, but it, it would be, be a it'd be a funner workout, and it'd be it, so, it, like you said, an active recovery. It would have some kind of purpose. It wouldn't mean yes. just me. You you had a meet at East. We traveled to East Aurora in the middle of January during a snowstorm, and we got back at school at like nine thirty, and then we had nine thirty ten o'clock, or whatever it was, and then we had practice at seven thirty in the morning. So, and I just swam the crap out of you after you just swam hard. And being on a long bus ride in you're the get, cold. Yeah, you're getting very little out of that practice. You got nothing. So it would turn into like an active recovery day. Just come in. We're going to move. We're going to – Get that lactic acid out. And we're just going to get – and then we'll play some water polo. But yeah, like we would do st- stuff like that. And now I don't even have Saturday practices just because my children are getting older and – they have their own activities and I can't be in two places at one time. And I adapted – And I, th- this is another sign of adaption. Like our track coach, Glenn Graham, um, awesome, amazing coach who's coached so many state qualifiers and state champions say, in track. A lot of respect for Glenn. And he's coached how many four-by-one state champions, individual state champions in track. And his track practices – or only during the week. His philosophy is if you can't get it done during the week, then what's... You're not going to get it done in, in the a, other days. On the other days. Right. And I've tried... As the, the, our, as the times have changed, I kind of look to see what he has done. Because I've always been... Like I started off always being um, a fan of like lots of yards, high yards, high intensity not a lot of rest because that's just how I like to train. I like the high volume. I like beating myself up. And because in my head, I was 
if I killed myself when it came to time to compete, I could step on up on the block and I know I did more than the guy next to me or I can endure more pain than the guy next to me. Oh, absolutely. And that was like, again, I, this was all in my, in my crazy head. <laughs> like I had no basis or any scientific foundation for what I was doing. I read a couple books here and there, but I was just doing things that like how I wanted to be treated as an athlete. I wanted those hard grinding practices. I like, I do better when I get like beat up. And as well, like people like, oh, you can't do that. Okay, I'll show you. Like watch. Yeah. Like, but now like, but as times have changed, I've had to adapt. And it, and like I even read like one of the best books I've read about track is called The Men of Oregon by Kenny Smith. He was a Olympic marathoner who, swam, who ran at or- University of Oregon for Bob Bowerman um, and ran with like C. Prefontaine and all those guys. And Phil, he ran with, he was a teammate of Phil Knight at Oregon, the founder of Nike, and this book is amazing. And he's recounting his experience. It's like a biography. It's like a history book of like basically American track in the 20th century. Mm. Um, and it's, and it's, it's just a, I recommend it to anyone. But a lot of things I was like, oh, I started incorporating some track strategies from them into swimming. And like even like some of these practice principles like how he had to contain like C. Prefontaine, like Prefontaine just wanted to go hard all the time and would try to break the world record in the mile in practice. Like, dude, you're going to kill yourself. Like, yeah. But his mentality is being like a little guy is like, I have to run that way. I have to be a sh- be out in front and set the pace or I'm not going to win. That was a big struggle between Bowerman and Prefontaine. He wanted him to think out the race. Prefontaine said, so "I'm gonna like I have to go out and make." I'm just gonna up. dominate the race. I'm gonna dominate the race and break everyone. I can I can suffer more than anyone else. By the time I get to the in the end of the ten thousand or whatever a mile, uh, by the time I get to that last lap, I'll break everybody. They can't endure what I. So if I can push that pace so hard, and then like, and his coach is like going the opposite direction. Here, I'll you want you want that world record time in the mile. Okay, this is how you have to run this race. Yeah. And it was right before his death when he was in the 72 games, he was running the 10,000. And he did exactly what his coach did. And he was in position for a medal. And then just out of pure circumstance of the pack, got shut out and finished like fourth or fifth out of the medals. And he was just crushed because he didn't run it his way. He ran it the way. And so it put strain on their relationship. And... He right before Seth, he went back to Oregon, was coaching with him, and he was on pace when, when he died to set that world record at um, in Montreal in '76. But so I started incorporating things like that into it, and I had to change. So now I'm a more, like as I got in more into like as I get to become an old man, and I'm still lifting relatively heavy weight. You need rest and recovery, so I'm applying those principles to my coaching because a lot of the kids I'm getting now don't have a, not just a swim background. They don't have an athletic background. No. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta build with what you got. Right. Like there's a lot, especially like with COVID with like, there's not like we're getting kids who've never done sports period. 
like even going outside and playing and you developing skills like running skills, jumping skills, those skills that you would develop in elementary school of like running, jumping, skipping, just by going out and playing pickup baseball or basketball or football. We're, I'm not, we're not seeing that anymore. No. So you have to, so the do what I just described, I can't do anymore because I'll scare them away and it'd be counterproductive because they don't have those skills. They're not, they're not there yet. They're not ready for that yet. No. So I've had to totally revamp. And sometimes I have like this inner struggle with myself. Like this is like, I'm not, I'm not, it's like re, not, I wouldn't say remedial is a poor choice of words, but I don't find it like the workouts challenging, but for them, it's all, it it, for them, it's, it's all relative for them. It is. But if I were to live in the past and look at teams I've had five, 10, 20 years ago, they could handle it. These guys, um, they can't yet. They and can't, and that's where, yet. and that's where you as a coach, you've had to, you've had to adapt, but you've also had to have that experiences throughout that you've learned over the last 10, 15, 20 plus years, you know, where you're, <laughs> where you're, uh, you know, you, that's not something a young coach knows. It takes time for a coach to realize stuff like that. And, At least I feel. You're right. But it took, but like I said, it took me like through trial and error to get there. Cause oh, for sure. I, I, there's a few people here and there that would give me advice, like Gary Grant from Alden back in the day. He would, he was a great person to talk to because back when the other coaches were too good for me, he would talk to me and he was a good person to go to because like he taught me like how to coach the 200 freestyle, for example, like a good way, like, cause I had some good mid, like long, like longer sprinter type kids. And he helped me like, here's an opposing coach helping me out. Like, why are you helping me? Like, you yeah. should want to kick my ass. Like, but here he was like, and he was a great influence. Like, and now that I'm getting older, I can see his perspective because he had some good swimmers. He had some good teams, but he was awesome. Like he would get jazzed by other kid, other teams, kids swimming well, like other kids swimming. So like if he saw Larry Monahan and Ken Maurice and he saw your swimmer, your track athlete doing something amazing, he'd be just as stoked for that kid as if he was one of his own kids. And that's one thing we've had uh, um, Megan on from Niagara Wheatfield, her coach, um, Michelle uh, White from um, Grand Island. That's one thing that we always talk to, especially with Niagara Frontier coaches, NFL coaches, where, you know, as, as a thrower's coach, if if Matt's throwing for Grand Island, I've got no problem going over, hey, Matt, why don't you just tweak this? Look at, you know, you're you're blocking yourself off. I have no problem going over and, and giving that, that athlete, even though he's not on my team, another little tip. Or I'll see, hey, coach, you know, I noticed that uh, you've got one athlete that you're training him this way. Did you ever think about doing it this way and maybe instead of teaching him the kick and glide, why don't you go back to maybe shuffle or right. go to a step back or something? Right. And it's you're at and that point a, you're doing it for the kids. And it's a difficult balance, too, because you don't want to step on the other coach's toes. No. But – I know what you're exactly what you're saying. And I think in some sports, there's more sense of camaraderie. Like I know for coaching track, that's definitely there for throwers because they're their own separate species. We are kind and, of. And 
and I don't and I mostly work with like middle distance, like the long sprinters and jumpers. And there's not really that much interaction where I work. But like but I know it's definitely true for throwers. Oh yeah. But, and I think it's just because, you know, sprinters, you're you get on your track, you're you know, you're running. You're done. You're yeah. not getting and the whereas coaches, throwers, jumpers, you're getting one attempt, two attempts, three attempts, and you're waiting like five, ten minutes be- between your attempts and, sometimes. And coaches are at the finish line with yeah. their stopwatches. So they're not around each other. They're like taking times for everybody. Yep. Every heat, every jump, every runner, keeping score during the meet where throwers are off, usually Dude. separated, like away from the action. Doing our own thing, which is sometimes it's kind of fun being in our own little world no, out it there. Is. It's, it's, it is. <laughs> it really is. But, um, all right, well, Doug, we're going to get into our – listen, we're going to have to have you on for another segment because oh, we're, 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 we're going to have to have you on for another segment and bring little Newman along because oh, we, 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 we haven't even gotten into the, the refereeing of soccer, the, <laughs> the strongman events that you do. But we're going to get into our hot seat questions oh, now. Boy. All right, and Doug, we're gonna, we're, we've been starting this for the last couple episodes where you've actually got to come up with one hot seat question. So Matt and I are coming up with a few, and you're giving us one. We try to do five uh, total, but um, Matt, you've got yours correct? You've got yours ready? Oh, boy. Sure. All right, Doug, think of one. As I give the first one, and Doug, I'm doing this because you're a history teacher here. Oh, boy. What? Don't get me started. This could go another hour, then. <laughs> we'll, keep it, we'll keep answers short and sweet. A little bit of explanation, but... If you could meet any historical figure, what historical figure would you like to meet? I'm going to start it off, and this would I'm do I'm going the funny route here, just because he's probably the same size as me. I'm going Napoleon. I think it'd be cool to kind of meet Napoleon back in the. the I, I, I'm going with Napoleon. Just the the short man, the ultimate short man complex. There, and he wasn't even that short. He was like five seven. Yeah. All right, so he gets like a, I don't know how he gets like this image of like he's like five two. He, so so my like, height, yeah, he was like five seven. <laughs> like, so I, I'm still going with Napoleon. I'm gonna go Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. Oh, that man was like a modern day Renaissance man. He he was good at everything. He was a swimmer, a wrestler, a frontiersman, a politician, police commissioner. Soldier, jack con- of all trades, conservationist. He did everything, and he was he invented the neutral zone in football. Really? Yes. Because his nephew played football at Harvard. As long and, as he didn't invent, uh, in, uh, what is it? Instant replay. No, he invented. <laughs> he developed the neutral zone because I believe his nephew was playing football at Harvard and came. And when he went to see him, his face was all bloodied and beaten because of the scrum at the line of scrimmage. And the line of scrimmage. At the line of scrimmage. Because it was football back then still looked like rugby. I can see that, yeah. And it was just like running into each other. And like, <laughs> and like so he invented the, that. And like all this stuff, like how progressive he was. Like his, doctor, his doctoral, his thesis at Harvard was about women's suffrage and like, and women's like, Equality, like in the, and he was writing like in like whatever it was, like the 1870s, 18 or like 1880s, or whatever, like 40, 50 years before women got the right to vote. He was like doing that, and like he just didn't give a shit about anything. He just, he just <laughs> did it. Like he didn't care. He like, 
brought like he was the first American president to win the Nobel Peace Prize because he brought Russia and Japan together to settle a war. He brought like union leaders to the White House. Like, shut up, listen. Like he like he made the modern presidency. He was so like out there and progressive and different. Like the Republican Party made him vice president just so he couldn't do anything. <laughs> and then McKinley gets shot and the rest is history. <laughs> so like that's like like McKinley wish... gets shot in the Lewis and Porter uh, McDonald's or whatever they made out of it. No, he got oh, shot yeah. on, like on Sussex um, Boulevard. I uh, thought it was it was in Lewiston, wasn't it? No, I thought shot... who was the president got got no, shot in Lewiston no, or somebody didn't. got shot there. It wasn't any American. It was or maybe he went there. I don't know. There was a McDonald's in Lewiston that historical thing or whatever. No, but McKinley was shot at the Pan American Exposition. He was like a yeah. block away from. Nah, maybe Al- I'm thinking of somebody like else. A, he was like a block away from Albright Knox. Like, I don't know. There was a historical was McDonald's like, in Lewis. He was shot like two blocks away from Delaware Park. Um, <laughs> was it Teddy Roosevelt sworn in or like held at the park school like that house no, there? No, it was on Delaware. And Buffalo in his great urban planning in the 70s knocked down the building that Theodore Roosevelt was inaugurated in. Uh-oh. So they, they had like the te- Theodore Roosevelt. So we could Roosevelt. build a mini mall. No, it's a, it's a, it's a parking lot. It's, there's, a, there's a plaque on a parking lot on Delaware Avenue. This is the where Theodore Roosevelt was inaugurated. And then they have like a, a new different building of like the Theodore Roosevelt like inaugural museum or whatever. Here's the slug that killed McKinley just because <laughs> – like, yeah, so like – he just has so much energy, and the dude died young. He died at like fifty six of malaria because he went on safari to Africa and got malaria. Nice, okay. and died from that. It took like some tropical disease. Oh, and he built the Panama Canal for crying out loud too. <laughs> the man did everything. And, like he set the United States on a path for like what it what it became in the twentieth century. And now we're scared of COVID. All right, Matt, oh, and we have a yeah. Matt, I'll shut up. <laughs> I'm done. Why'd you have to say that? I wasn't, I wasn't even going to go to Cobra Route. I was just going to our doddering old man of a president. Oh, don't get me started on that. Matt, what historical figure uh, would you like to meet? Genghis Khan. He'd probably kill me. You know what, Doug? I, Doug, I kind of thought first. you were going to say Genghis Khan no, for a he, second. No, I have a poster of Genghis Khan in my classroom of like the Mongols and how they travel. No, he would kill me first. <laughs> he would, but I'd like to see that. I think what, it'd be cool. Even just, no, no he see would, myself get killed. <laughs> he would kill you first, and then like he would just ba- talk to me for five minutes, and I then, then and then bathing your blood, and then like sell your sister into slavery, and then like. <laughs> Yeah, he was a bad man. He was. It's amazing, like how much, gen- like how much genocide he committed in like the 1200s. He would put like Stalin and Hitler and Mao to shame <laughs> at the scale of like a <laughs> killing. I just remember him from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, that's not the real guy. <laughs> he wasn't that friendly. He wasn't going to Lauk Sporting Goods to get football pads and a. He wasn't ice pad. skating at one point oh, no. with Abraham Lincoln. Yes. All right. Uh, Matt, do you have one? Uh, sh- sure. I, I don't know. Would you rather go see? Uh, would you number one? It's a two part. Would you rather? Would you go to Jurassic World slash Jurassic Park if it was a real thing? Number one. Number two. Would you rather go to Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? Uh, the original Jurassic Park, like the first movie type Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah. I'd go. Yeah. If you're gonna go somewhere like that, you're not gonna be in like one of those little bubble. Would you go things like in general? I've seen how it ends, so no. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
The concept's I th- a great I, idea. I think now as an adult, I'd probably look at it like, yeah, that's a mistake. Nope. No, but I, as a, as a I, kid, I think if I was a kid, like, I'd be like. I'd be like, yes, I it's mom, like let's Disney go, World. dad, let's yeah. It would be like the new Disney World, but I would feel like what's his face in the original Jeff Goldblum's character. Yeah, like the chaos theory. Like you just unleashed God on the, you just play God and unleash these monsters on the world. Uh, it finds uh, what is it? Evolution finds a way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it be survive. It, yeah, because every creature wants to live. So they're going to live, whether they're going to eat you or kill you or whatever. Because wasn't that the thing that the theory they they just created all males or they just no, they created, created all, all females. females all females so they couldn't all breed so they couldn't and then breed. they somehow evolved they, the male and then that repopulated 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 that was the later movies the later yeah, the right. second one the Chris um, Pratt version <laughs> the Chris Pratt version they're just like let's just combine the two. Let's combine it's, it's it two and like reboot, a, but not reboot. Yeah. Like a hybrid monster. Yeah. Let's put a Velociraptor and a T-Rex together. <laughs> Why not? And yeah, put like the got... thinking skills of a raptor into the size and power. But the thing is, it didn't adapt like the little T-Rex arms. Yeah. It like, had like these long claws and stuff. Yeah, like T-Rex, how could you survive for an extended period of time when you couldn't like bend over? To... Yeah, if you're going to evolve a T-Rex, at least let him extend his arms or you something. Over He's the, still – Like evolution like made the T-Rex fail. Like they couldn't be as bad as the badass as like you think they are because they have no arms. They couldn't bend over. They would tip <laughs> over. How would you get – they couldn't push themselves up off the ground. I mean the only thing I like about Jurassic World is that they incorporated water dinosaurs that time. Yeah, yeah like that, that mosasaur. I was like, thank you. Like somebody created the water one. The swimmers of the dinosaur The one world. that freaks me out the most. <laughs> yes. All right. Question number three. Now, Doug, we're going to go to you for your question after oh, this. Boy. But question number three, and, and Doug, I know you're a, a strong man competitor. So favorite and, and Matt, pretend you, one. Matt, you can answer this for watching him, but favorite strongman event, favorite like strongman event oh, for me, it was always, it was always the ones where they, they toss the kegs like over a certain over, like, height, that bar, over that, next, over that bar. My yeah. My next contest, I have that. I've Do you have that. the keg toss or no, is that a, what it's called? Well, there is. The keg toss. I have a sandbag toss coming up. And I've done it before in the past contest. And it's like progressively heavier sandbags that you have to toss over a 15-foot pole. Yeah. Yeah. But that was – I always remembered watching it, like watching the World's Strongest Man competitions on ESPN as like a kid and just seeing them like they'd throw the – and they'd have to like throw it – well, I guess you could get it over any way you want. But usually they would just grab it and throw it backwards and it would like have to – I don't know how, how high the thing was, 15 meters, 10 meters, however high it was. Um, but they – Got up there like pretty high, so that's that's my favorite event. Doug, Matt, anybody? I'll let Matt you go first. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is a strong man. It's like, but like they have like those like I guess like roll like boulder things the where they, the atlas. Yeah, where they have to atlas, put them atlas, up. Atlas stones. Atlas stones. I, I love those things where like they have to like put them up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah that, and that, how high isn't each one is like heavier, right? And the it and the the height that you got to put it up is heavier. And that's the thing about strong man. It doesn't it it doesn't matter. There's no there's nothing standardized. Okay. Strong man. You can do whatever you want. It's like CrossFit for fat people. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> fat people who are strong as hell. <laughs> Stronger than him. It's a joke, and I get like side eyed when I say it, but it's true. Um, <laughs> and I probably just made more enemies, but uh, I hope I make people laugh. But um, there's nothing standardized in, cro- in in strong man. Like it's whatever you want. 
Like it's, it's whatever the competition is for that day or whatever, those events. Whatever the promoter wants to do, it, you can do. And usually it's like whatever equipment's available. But there's nothing standardized. If you want to lift a car, lift a car. If you want to lift a stone, lift a stone. But usually there's the same type of events. There's five standardized like movements. Like there's a pull, there's a press, there's a carry, there's a load, loading event. And I always like – my favorites were always the – I like the carry events or the loading events. And the longer they can go, the more I like them because okay. I can – I can outlast everybody. I can out, <laughs> I, like I can go longer. Like, so I can see you doing like the truck pull or – I like the truck pull. Like – no, but like stone loading. I like keg lo- like keg loading. I like – my next contest is um, last man standing keg load. It starts with a 200-pound keg and it just goes until you can't load them anymore. And, so, and it's over a 52-inch bar. So it's, 52 inches is higher than you think it is, especially when you have to lift 300-pound, extend up and get 300 pounds up towards, like, your chin to put it over the bar. But um, Matt, we can do that, right? No. Maybe together? <laughs> no. But like, maybe together all. we'll both on, the, on each side combine but with I, the keg? But I like to carry events. And I like the loading events. Okay. Like farmers carries, farmers carries, um, stone loading, keg loading, keg carries. Okay. Because usually traditional strongmen aren't as good as that. Yeah. I, like, yeah. Like you, like I might not be as strong as they are, but I can, I can move faster. <laughs> A little quicker. I can move quicker. Oh, absolutely. Like, Yeah. All right, so Doug, we're going to your question. You got one yet? I I'll think. Okay, this is kind of dumb, but if you were on death row, okay, what would questions. be your final meal? Ooh, oh, I already know this one. I think Matt, go it. first. If you were be... I've got a couple yeah. choices, Matt. Um, I want the McRib and the <laughs> Shamrock Shake. That's and the Shamrock Shake. That's what you would go to. Just what, what are you trying to? McDonald's are you meal? trying to load up so that they got number, number one? Number one, they're going to have to clean stuff up. Number two, <laughs> you can only get the Shamrock Shake seasonally. And if I'm projected to die in like I don't know April, they got to wait until March. Listen, every year I get fooled by the Shamrock Shake. Oh, every year it. I'm like, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. I take two sips. I'm like, this is disgusting. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the Shamrock Shake. I don't yeah. care. I said no, it. Actually, the McDonald's spaghetti because you actually can't get that anywhere the except McDonald's for like spaghetti? the Philippines. Yeah. Ooh. Well, they can keep it in the Philippines. I was gonna say I. I, I am. <laughs> then not... they got to go to the Philippines to get my final meal, or else they can't yeah, execute. That's, me. that's okay. Doug, what's your final meal? <laughs> I would just be a glutton. I would get a chicken finger sub, just load it up and make it as nasty and sloppy as possible, and then follow that up with like um. Some kind of like steak meal, and then load up on like ice cream. Oh yeah, and just like if they're gonna fry me and I'm gonna defecate all over myself, I'm gonna give them something to remember me by. <laughs> Listen, if it's my last meal and I can get anything, I'm eating enough where that they might not have to kill me because I might just be dead during the meal. So I'm loading up on ribs. I'm loading up on steak, um, pasta. I've got to have at least one last meal of uh, a pasta. Um, chicken finger sub, and like Doug said, I'm making it sloppy. I'm making it gooey. I'm going out, 
And like I said, who knows? I might not even make it to the chair because I might just keel over. No, they won't be able to right fit there. you in the chair. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm breaking the chair. I'm gonna make him work for it. It's gonna be like I want to be like that scene in Stand By Me where the guy just throws up and makes everyone. Oh yeah, in the, the bar, the bar for Rama. I want that. That's that's how I want to go out. <laughs> nice. All right, last question here. Uh, I will do the last one. If you could be one cartoon character. Who would it be if you could be any cartoon character, um, old school cartoon, new school cartoon, whatever, any cartoon uh, character, who would you be? Um, could you it know, be comic book included? We'll go comic book, too. Okay. We'll go comic book because right. that's cartoon. That's that's art. He was a cartoon at one time. All right. I would go Wolverine. The okay. Wolf, I, would go the I could Wolverine. see that. I could see the X-Men route. I'll, I would go the Wolverine that way if I was like – Comic book cartoon hero guy, or um, I don't know what's a good cartoon character. I don't know. I have to come back. Well, they had the X Men cartoons. They did. So those that's that's still a cartoon character. All right, Matt, do you got one? I'd probably be like Arnold from Hey Arnold. Do you remember that Nickelodeon? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I thought he was a cool dude. Okay, lived with his grandparents in a boarding house. Absolutely. Larry would be Johnny Bravo. (laughs) Yep. Yes. Yes, the hair, the big hair. Always like flirting with the chicks. I just don't have the hair. Larry has always in traffic duty at Park Camp. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Hey, do you have a husband? Listen, I'm not. I'm not Joe Rich over here. I'm not Joe Rich. Oh, Uh, the the, Matt. This was before your time, but and I kid you not, he'd go up. Hey, allegedly. Hey, allegedly. Um, mom looks pretty good. Is uh, is dad still in the picture? Oh is, my is dad still in the picture? One hundred percent. Like, and and you think we're joking, exaggerating? Nope. It doesn't surprise me from the characters that have worked at Park. Like, like he would just lean over. Oh, I, hey, how you doing? I could share some stories out. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Uh, all right, we'll go Johnny Bravo. We'll we'll keep this short. I'll go Johnny Bravo. I'll be the Johnny Bravo character. Oh, no. Um, I was gonna say Doug from Hey Arnold, but we'll or not uh, from Hey Arnold. You Doug mean from, from Doug. Doug? <laughs> Doug from Doug, um, with the a, old school Nickelodeon with what? cartoons. Patty, Patty, Patty mayonnaise, Patty mayonnaise, and uh, and Skeeter Valentine. Were they humans? Because Skeeter was blue. They were all different color. Doug was like Doug white. was the only like Patty was yellow. Skeeter was blue. Um, uh, who was Rod, the bad Roger? guy? Roger Klotz was like, wasn't he red? I don't know. Like, I try were... watching that show and I can't. I was too old for that show. <laughs> I missed out on it. Like that, that was, was like my... early nineties, I think, late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Okay, yeah. so I was in high school, college. I graduated high school in ninety four. Graduated college in ninety eight. Yeah, see, I graduated in ninety eight. So I would have started. I think they were like. I was born in ninety. They were like early nineties. So I think I was like middle school, late elementary. Early it was on when I was a little kid. But like, but yeah, I, but you had the newer Dugs. But I, think. I had, but I had, the, I had the privilege of like, like the little Einsteins and Dora and going through all of them with with the little Newman. Oh my God, um, who's the one? Um, oh, who's the one? I can't remember his name. Oh, I just want to punch him all the time. Is it Blues Clues? No, not Blues Clues. Blues Clues was okay. Tell you me, know, it wasn't Barney? No. Oh, my kids didn't get into Barney. Thank oh, God. Thank God. They got into it for like a hot second, and then like, no, who's? Oh, what the heck's his name? Zabumafu. Zabumafu, I liked. Zabumafu. Yeah. yeah. They were like these Australian brothers who had and who were like did animals. Had like things. a lemur and stuff. And a lemur. No, who's the kid who's bald? Had like Caillou. 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 Hey, Caillou. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and my and my and my fourteen year old son will still do Caillou. And I was like, don't make me punch you. I will throw punch you. Is goes, it Charlie Brown or Caillou? Caillou. Okay. Caillou. Charlie Brown, I could, yeah, whatever. He was just stupid. Like The Caillou. lovable loser. Caillou is pretty annoying. I he have was, no was, idea he, who Caillou is. You're lucky. You are very, very <laughs> lucky. Caillou might be the worst children char- children's character ever. He was just a whiny little bitch. He whined in every episode. He did. Isn't he supposed to be like four or five? <laughs> but he still was a little one. <laughs> I have no clue. And he just whined. I'm surprised his parents didn't like purposely leave him at a subway station or something. <laughs> in every episode. Why was he bald? Nobody ever covered. I think. Hey, I think nothing my, wrong with being I bald. Think my daughter came up with the backstory that he had like chemo or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he had cancer, Dad. That's why. <laughs> it's a Canadian TV show too. So it just shows the wrongness. I have no clue what you guys are talking about. Look up Caillou. Look up Caillou when uh, you get home tonight. And wh- you'll have this whiny voice in your head all night. <laughs> yeah, Vicky will be like, why are you watching children's cartoons I can already right now? hear it. I remember exactly what it sounds uh. like. <laughs> All right, well, Doug, we are definitely going to have to have you back on for another another sure. episode. We'll have you bring uh, little Joshy, little Newman on. If he's on. not so busy. Yeah. If he's not so busy. We'll we, talk we, about Caillou. Talk about Caillou. Talk about other stuff. Oh, he'll, he'll love that. <laughs> he will. But thank you for coming on. No problem. Thank you. Um, Matt, fun. as always, thank you for, for joining me for this madness. And everyone, we will see you next week for another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines.